0: Connecting to the big show.
1: In three, two, one.
0: I just think it's entitlement.
1: It's not rocket science. It can be dope. I truly believe it can. It's want
0: and destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk?
2: Call
0: 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 83 396
2: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
0: The lines are live. Let's
2: kickstart the conversation.
0: This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
2: On Cork's 96fm.
3: And a very good morning. Monday morning, the 26th day of April. 35 years ago today, we began to hear about an unfolding story in Ukraine that would dominate the news and still be a huge news story to this day and dominate the lives of thousands of people in ways that we could never even have anticipated uh, when we first heard those news stories coming in. We will mark the 35th anniversary of Chernobyl. Of course, a massive core connection to Chernobyl uh, later on this morning. I want to start, though, um, by sending out our thoughts and our sympathies to anyone who knew Connor King or his family. Such a tragedy. Camping with his mates, 23-year-old student at MTU, camping with his buddies, on Saturday, as any youngster loves to do at the weekend And fell 50 feet into what they call a blowhole uh, One of his mates is a qualified lifeguard And went down to try to rescue him but, and, and he suffered hypothermia, hypothermia Trying to save him Poor Connor was pronounced dead at the scene Taken to CUH post-mortem taking place. Uh, MTU's Head of Student Affairs is Dr. Dan Collins. I know Dan very, very well. He sent his condolences to Connor's family and friends. They're in everybody's thoughts and indeed they are in ours this morning. Such an awful tragedy to befall any family. Any family at any time. 1850 Now, it was a bright and sunny and warm weekend from the time I left here. Friday, To This morning it's been bright and sunny and warm and pleasant and just beautiful late spring or middle spring weather But of course it brought people out in their droves as it would at any time But unfortunately we don't live at any time And a young man called Harry McCann who's been with me on the show before Made an observation on Twitter Over the weekend Now you changed your original word Harry to a word Unpoliceable But to be fair I can't argue with the first word That you used You said and I'll quote it And excuse gentle ears Or delicate ears if they're around You said Cork was a shit show Good morning
4: Morning PJ Yeah look It it, it was bad now to be honest I I don't think I've seen it as bad I don't think I've seen anywhere as bad To be honest uh, As I've seen Cork City at the weekend
3: Describe what you saw because I wasn't in there, I went home and stayed
4: home. Oh, It was just droves and droves and droves of people. Like it was unpass,ed streets where so like you're walking on the side of the road to try and get past the just piles of people who were drinking and eating. And, and look, to be to be honest, and I don't want to be the killjoy, and that's, that's that was my point. It was that I'm all for people going out and getting a takeaway point or going to get a takeaway coffee. I was out getting a takeaway point myself. You know, I'm all for people doing that, but it's just when people are in gangs of like hundreds—not even just five or ten people, hundreds of people—it's when
3: dangerous situations happen, and it's how these things spread. You know, I suppose they would say to you, Harry, where else are we to go on a beautiful weekend? I think it's just spread out,
4: PJ. To be honest, I think that's the problem. Like it was—if you're looking
3: on Patrick Street there, it was
4: just dozens upon dozens of people. Um, and it was, it was really it just it was so notice, noticeably dangerous um, mm. and I think had anybody been there uh, looking out you know from NEFID or from HSE or anybody you'd have been hugely concerned about the amount of people now to be honest one of the, the biggest issues with the littering as well um, people I, look it's not even looking for bins it was people kicking bottles around the place glass bottles like the place was destroyed so there's, there's two things there it's the, the amount of people and it's also the thought and consideration I think for the city as well I think there's very little talk given to that
3: Yeah, I, I did hear a lot of reports about litter all over the city and county at the weekend but you said the city, and driving in this morning of course our our fantastic council staff have done their usual magic in the early hours of the morning when we are all asleep they're cleaning it up, so you'd yeah. never know anything had happened No, and I think that, look, it, 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 it's it's there's
4: not many people to blame for this, but I think we need to also look at the fact that places are still shut and places are still closed, and people do have to go somewhere, as you said. And unfortunately, that's being the streets now. People do need to have personal responsibility for the fact that if you look like you're in a group of 100 people, you need to remove yourself from that situation. But mm. then again, the question doesn't need to be when are we going to open up pubs and restaurants for people to actually move from the streets into safer, socially distanced environments. And I think that needs to be sooner rather than later.
3: Yeah, because I had lunch myself Friday. Uh, down on the Mall, just there by the Imperial, where they have a little um, takeaway place. And there's a kind of a little parklet, these little benches opposite. And I noticed, and I have to say fair play to everyone who was there, it was busy, but everybody was observing their distancing. Nobody sat on top of each other. In fact, they've. Like, when I sat down to have my lunch, the, the person who was opposite me consciously just nodded and just moved even two foot away. Just being careful. Now you can't do that if there's three hundred people. No, and look, that's that's the thing. I think everyone just needs to be conscious
4: themselves of wh- who's around them and where they are. Um, look, I was out for lunch on Friday myself. We walked around the city. There was a grey five red face. Uh, it is, there's nice weather and it's good to see people in good mood, but I think as the evening kind of came on, as I said, there was just droves and droves of people and there was just very little consideration given for the fact that, unfortunately, we are still in the middle of this. We're still trying to battle it and a spread or a spread of a 100 people isn't going to help anybody and it's not going to help the city at all. So I think people just need to be really, really careful Well, it's great to see the good weather and it's great to see mm. the city buzzing. Just look around you and go, if you're in a bad situation, remove yourself from it or even just step away from somebody's mob. you know?
3: Like, Harry, it's a while since I was 22, shall we say. We'll leave it at that. You're 22. It's a while since I was 22. When I was 22, I remember, though, I just wanted to be out with my friends. I just wanted to, to meet my friends and while the weekend away with them. So it's it's easy to understand why people would want to, isn't it? Yeah no look and I, look as I said I was out myself and I thought you know
4: I, I have no objection to people going out and about there was three of us out we walked a bit out away from the crowds and stood and, and had our, our points. and looked as I said the guards were there you know it's not like there wasn't police around it's, it was an unpleasable situation and I think people while they were there to to have a good time I think people just might have had a lapse of judgment I don't think it's anybody being uh, initially or trying to be consciously. You know, um, oh, dangerous or put themselves in a dangerous
3: situation. I think it's people you don't think it was anyone putting judgment. two fingers up, do you, Harry?
4: No, I don't think it was, no. And I, by no account so I think anybody would do that. I think most people are conscious of the situation and I don't think they'd intentionally put themselves or others in danger. But I think some people are just sick of this at this rate and have no. kind of just had a lapse in judgment. And I think yeah. if we can hold off a few more weeks, then we might keep everyone a little safer.
3: Well, there's the thing you see, what, what we were also told scientifically and confirmed for us a few weeks back that being outdoors is safe or now unfortunately what happens is that the ER gets left off the end so there's this mistaken idea that you can be outdoors and it doesn't matter if there's a thousand of you, you're safe you're safe or when you're outside but not 100% safe
4: no, of course, Look, that's it. You are safer than you would be if there were 100 people inside a room. Of course it is, because there's, you know, there's fresh air and everything else, but I think it's, as you said, safer is the, bi- the bigger word there. You're still at risk, you can still put other people at risk, and if somebody catches it and spreads it to somebody else and they bring it home to their family, mm. then we've got a disaster
3: on our hands. Okay, thank you very much, Harry. Uh, Harry McCann, 1850 Were you out at the weekend? Mags says on Twitter, so this dude is complaining about the volumes of crowds in town that he himself contributed to okay then but Kevin says people are under the illusion this pandemic is over one look at India oh don't mention India, my god don't mention India shows just how fast things can go sideways unless you're vaccinated, why risk it you've gone this far just see it out yeah, I see where Harry is coming from as I said, I had my lunch in town on Friday um, waiting for my son actually, and I had a there was a few people around there was a crowd building there was lots of people walking around with takeaway coffees and I'm sure the odd takeaway point was being had but people were being very careful of their distancing um, and I, as I said I was sitting on that little parklet outside the Imperial having my lunch and when I sat down the person who was sort of next to me even though they were a good 4 or 5 foot away just consciously moved a little bit to the left just to open the space and I thought that's brilliant to see people doing that Um, and we have to keep doing that until we get the damn jabs into our arms actually reading today, uh, this morning early the north, north of Ireland and I've been saying for weeks they're kind of putting us to shame in terms of the speed of the vaccine rollout they are picking up the phone today to call people in age 35 to 39 we are still working on the 60 to 64s so they're 30 to 39, and we're on 60 to 64s. We need to at least meet them halfway, lads. We need to get that speeded up. Caller says Club Piero was in full swing over the weekend down in Skull. It's no surprise that people who don't care about COVID also don't care about litter or noise pollution or antisocial social behaviour. The litter was chaotic by all accounts around town, and I certainly saw some stuff coming from Skull. Uh, about Club Piero, we talked about that last summer when it started, the the pier down in Skull, people bringing down speakers, big, big Bluetooth speakers and effectively having a disco uh, at 11 o'clock in the evening um, on the pier. It's happened for years, but last year it got focused on... 1850 There was, I'll do that now. Will I, Terry, that one from the story from the Glen? Oh, well, I'll do the break first. I'll do the break first. 1850
0: Can we just talk? The
3: Opinion Line on Cork's
0: 96 FM. With Dairy Made
2: Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
0: <laughs> All this dies on one show.
5: This is Diralifa.
0: Hi, this is Tiesto. Oi, this is Shane
2: Khan.
5: Hey, this is Amory. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Corey. I go by the name of the weekend.
2: Get your new music fix on Corks 96 FM's Hit Mix.
0: Corks 96 FM's Hit Mix. Hey, I'm Dermot Kennedy. Yo, what's up? It's your boy KSI.
5: Yo, what's good? Universe It's twenty four K golden. I'm Miley Cyrus. Hi, we're Picture This.
0: This is Medusa, the Hit Mix with Shane Bucks
2: on your radio weeknights from eight. Don't, don't stop. stop. Turn it up.
0: streaming online all the time on your phone, smart speaker or at 96fm.ie
3: All of the uh, news outlets this morning, Cork Bureau reporting that Gardaí are investigating after two young women were brutally attacked by a gang of teens who knocked them to the ground and started kicking them in a Cork park. This happened Saturday evening. Now, we've had a personal account from one of the young people involved who isn't prepared to go on air is afraid I think to go on air but has given us a personal account um, of of what happened and here's how it reads last night on the way home my friend and I decided to walk through the Glen Park at around 9 o'clock we were attacked by a group of teenagers 15, 16 year olds out drinking we had seen them and purposely we sat a distance away just to have a chat as we got ready to leave A few of them walked past, and one of the lads flicked a lit fag-butt at my friend. It landed in her hair and fell down her dress. I stood up both in shock and to try to find out who'd thrown it and why. As I took a step away from the bench, I was knocked to the ground and kicked twice into the forehead. My friend tried to come to my aid, but as she did, she was kicked in the chin. Her glasses fell off and she dropped her bag. We tried our best to defend ourselves. There was a confrontation between us and about seven or eight of the teenagers. We called the guards. The gang were mocking us and jeering at us. The guards didn't show up. After a few more calls, we walked home, and the gang followed us until we left the park. It took six hours, or six calls rather, over the space of an hour, and eventually we were at home before the guards came out. They took statements from... Each of us. Now we have that young person's identity and that's verified and all of that. they are investigating but that's just a personal account from one of the people involved in that incident uh, on Saturday. 1850-715-996. I want you to think about ice cream. I'll come back to it. Think about ice cream. There must have been our wagon of it Eaten at the weekend. An absolute wagon of the stuff, eating over the weekend. And we were talking last week about gelato and all of that. Uh, but have a think about ice cream for a sec. But first of all, let's go to an interesting tweet. It says, Speed limits in Cork City are heavily dominated by 50 kilometer zones, with a few special 30 kilometer zones scattered around. Wouldn't it be great to see 30 as the standard and 50 as as the special case, exactly the reverse. And that tweet published with a, a map, which, to be fair, the author says, isn't 100% certain of what's what, but just gives a general impression. Prasanna, good morning. Hi, good morning. Um, 50 kilometres an hour is about 30 miles an hour. 30 kilometres an hour is about 18 to 20 miles an hour. You reckon that should be the standard across the city?
6: Uh, yes, that's correct. Um so uh, yeah, I think uh, in built uh, built-up areas, um, about 30 kilometres an hour should be should be standard, and 50 should be uh, the special case on you know major arterial roads that uh, go uh, you know around the
3: city. Mm. So yes. you'd say what places like say Douglas Village or Blackpool or those places should be 30? Uh,
6: yes, indeed. It's uh, it's all about uh, it's all about safety. Um, you know, according to uh, the uh, Road Safety Authority uh, statistics, you know, at 50 kilometres per hour, uh, five out of ten people uh, die in a yeah. collision. Yeah. But at 30 kilometres an hour, it drops to one out of ten. So that's that's a really marked increase in safety. And inside cities, really,
3: um, you know, it, uh, 30 kilometres per hour really makes much more sense. Is it practical for people who are trying to get around for business and trying to get around for deadlines? Is it practical to limit them to effectively 18 miles an hour? Uh,
6: yes, it's, it's 20 miles an hour. But, but yeah, actually, there, there's some very good arguments for it. Uh, so what happens with 30 is many more people, uh, you know, feel safe to um, walk or cycle who can, which means the, the congestion actually reduces. So professional drivers and, you know, people who have to drive, are actually you know sitting in less traffic and it it 's kind of a nice experience for everyone, including professional drivers, as you say, people who are on deadlines and stuff like that mm-hmm. and also the other reason is uh, you know when it 's thirty kilometers an hour there's a lot of uh, you know there 's much less stop and start you know some places you could argue that the traffic signals you know the, 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 the that could be reduced, so you don 't need to have as many traffic signals if it 's a uh, thirty kilometer per hour uh, zone everywhere so traffic in general is more free-flowing and there's research to support all this.
3: Um, mm. so
6: it's good in many, many ways.
3: There's a lot of this happening in, in London and I think in Dublin as well at the moment.
6: Yeah, exactly. So Dublin City Council had their Loving 30 campaign and they had a public consultation which just uh, concluded last Friday. And if you look online, of course, there's um, there's people on both sides of it, but then there's, uh, uh, there's a lot of people supporting it uh, because, you know, as I said, in a city uh, it's it's... 30 kilometres per hour has a lot more benefits.
3: Okay, we'll see what listeners think. They, they may have a thought on it. Prasanna, thank you very much. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. 715 996. Prisanna's right. In London, there's been a massive campaign, uh, Transport for London, to try to get as many places 30 or 20 miles an hour would be the, the equivalent. They still do it in miles. Thank goodness they do it <laughs> I, I don't know why we ever went for this kilometres nonsense. Anyway. They still do it in miles in in London, so they want to get down to 20 as opposed to 30. And in Dublin, a lot of places are down to 30k an hour as opposed to 50. And Presanna's argument, why can't we do that more in Cork? I'd love to know what you think, uh, 1850-715-996. Tom says there's only two speeds in Blackpool. One is dead slow, the other is stopped You can spend as long going from one side of Blackpool to the other as you would going from Cork to Carrigaline. On the crowds over the weekend, uh, Thomas Gould says, this is Deputy Gould, Good morning, I was in the city at the cold case Saturday night. On Sunday I was doing cleanups in the Glen Park and Cushing Road and Tannery Gardens. I know what PJ is talking about. I agree with being smart and thinking right. However, it has been said on your show so many times, and even by yourself, people have had enough. Well, I've never said that people have had enough. I said a lot of people say they've had enough. We will enjoy ourselves, and people think what they want, but we have had enough. We can live our lives in a clever manner. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Right, I said to you there was a wagon of ice cream. uh, consumed over the weekend (laughs) I saw one more tweet of people with 99s and I we had slices at home we got the wafers and the block of ice cream it's great, like it's lovely but there was a wagon of ice and we were thinking if you could dream up one ice cream flavour that you've never seen but you'd love to try and bearing in mind you can flavour ice cream with pretty much anything. My friend Marcelo, in Marcelo's restaurant in Douglas, God, I miss Marcelo's, he does ice creams in the summertime with things like Granny Smith oranges and pineapples and Mandarin, Granny Smith apples and Mandarin oranges and pineapples. And he just explained to me one time, it's just about getting the, the flavour in to the ice cream. And God, I miss, I miss Marcella. Anyway, um, if there is a particular kind of ice cream that you... And would it be a savoury one? Like would, you like, would you like to be able to get, oh, I don't know, pizza-flavoured ice cream? Or, or whatever. Um, tomato. There's one. Tomato-flavoured ice cream. Would you be interested in tomato-flavoured ice cream? Is there any particular flavour... I know this is mad... Any particular flavour of ice cream that you've never seen that you'd love to try and that you'd love to see someone make it. 185715996 uh, Text to WhatsApp your ideas. Any ice cream at all. Bacon and cabbage ice cream. Don't tell me it can't be done. It could. Bacon and cabbage ice cream. Chicken curry. Ice cream. <laughs> I know. Stupid ideas like that. The, maddest, the, the madder, the better. 1850 715
7: 996. Can we just
3: talk? The opinion line on
0: Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100%
2: natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out.
0: Drive Home, weekdays from four
2: on Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Whether you're working out, chilling out, or clocking out, make sure you're with me on the Big Drive Home, where it's good vibes only. We're eating ice cream in the town park in Macquarie. I've got the biggest tunes and the best prizes to make your commute a little easier. Driving
5: through town, tunes pump No better feeling.
2: Sure, what more could you want? I'll talk to you weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM.
0: The Big Drive Home.
2: Let's business with Ford Lease. Hustle-free vehicle leasing.
3: Search Ford Lease to find out more. The big drive home. On Cork's 96 FM. Tomato sauce flavoured ice cream. Brown sauce ice cream. I had for my breakfast yesterday morning, I had what is known in my house as a Jack Frost sandwich. A what, Peach? A Jack Frost sandwich. If you watch, um, I told you Frost, the detective show, one of our all-time favourites in Coogan Jack breakfast pretty much every day of a bacon and egg, sarnie. And they become known at my house as Jack Frost sandwich. So maybe a Jack Frost sandwich flavoured ice cream. The madder the better at 83 396 Just on the vaccines, I mentioned that there is a call there um, uh, in in the north, they're now calling in people or they're inviting people to register between 35 and 39 years of age. We're still registering the 60 to 64-year-olds. PJ says, you're down to 60 to 64-year-olds now. There's a group of us. We're all friends. We're 67, 68. We grew up together. We thought that by registering at the same time, we'd get appointments together, but none of us has been called yet. But I know someone who registered last Monday... They have an appointment for next Tuesday. We contacted the HSE and they say they call people randomly from the list of people registered as slots become available. That doesn't really explain why they have moved on to the next cohort, though. Is there something wrong or what? Caller says, I'm 54. I've had a call from my GP to say I'm being offered a jab today. Now, the caller said her husband has an underlying health condition, but that must be... 1850-715-996. Why eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six? Let us chat uh, for the first time in a couple of weeks. Always good to catch up with uh, Professor Luke O'Neill uh, about things related to vaccines and variants and all that. And it's always good to get you on the end of the line. Luke, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How's it going? Good, good, good. Um, I'll, I'll talk about vaccine rollouts and the importance of, of speeding it up and all that in, in a few minutes. But looking at the chaotic and heartbreaking scenes from India, Luke. Yeah, that's how bad this can get, isn't it?
8: Oh, it's desperate, for, I mean, it is effectively a, a, a huge natural disaster in many ways. Now, at this stage. it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, the, the the scenes are horrifying, aren't they? And no oxygen, people dying. I mean, and obviously it's partly to do with the massive overcrowding, the way people live there, and it's spreading like wildfire, you know. And then, and then the level of, of immunity hadn't really built up much in the previous waves, mm. but we are seeing exactly as you say. How vicious this virus is. If you put this virus into the ideal environment, which is what that is, tragically, you'll see it do an absolute mayhem, won't you? So it's a terrible, terrible mm-hmm. imagery really to come at us on a television screen.
3: And they've got one of the biggest vaccine manufacturing industries in the whole world. So it's you ironic. would think, you yeah. would think that they'd they'd be churning it out.
8: You would, yeah. I mean that's the strange the terrible imbalances in that society, isn't a lot of poverty and You're right that the Serums Institute in India makes truckloads of vaccines all the time. Now, what's happening now, of course, is they're now getting a huge amount of supply in to make loads of vaccine there now to make sure they get the vaccine. If ever a rollout was essential, you have it in that country, haven't you? So there'll be a massive ramping up of their vaccination campaign when they begin. And you saw the images. PG of the oxygen being delivered from different places around the world just to keep people alive, basically. You know, isn't that something
3: very... we take so much for granted, Luke? The supply of when I read that at the weekend, the supply of oxygen down to an hour in a major hospital in a major city. Yeah. I thought, how the hell does that happen?
8: And it's horrible. It's, it's horrible to die. They're, they're suffocating those patients effectively. You know, and, they, and if, if that oxygen, they would live. I mean, it's a really horrible thing, isn't it? So as I say, it's like a natural disaster, isn't it? And now the world. It is rolling in behind, of course. And I've mm. seen the EU and the US respond and all the rest of it. But but you're quite right. That if anybody ever had any doubts that this wasn't a very serious disease, which was remember people were saying that for months. Yes. There there you have the evidence, you know?
3: Yes, what it can do when it runs when it runs yep. wild in a community like that. Now of course India is in the news for other reasons too, Luke, because what's the story with an actual Indian variant? Do we know if one exists?
5: we do.
8: Yeah, there's loads of variants cropping up all the time, remember, because as we know every time this virus copies itself there's a risk of a new variant you know, and it is running rampant in that country and more and more people infected so more chances for the virus to change then, you know, and then one particular variant they've looked at it's not still a variant of concern, so it's not the, the most serious type of variant yet, you know, but they're examining it. It's got a variant of interest, is what they call it. Terms, what do they know?
3: mean when they say that? Because I've seen that term in a few, a few newspapers. What does that mean?
8: Yeah, of interest means it might be troublesome,
3: but we have no evidence yet, you know. So in other
8: words, the scientists are examining that variant to see if it's able to spread more. It looks like it can spread more. Hmm. It's like the UK variant. That's one thing, you know. Hmm. And then the second thing is, will it cause more disease or will it dodge the vaccine? Those are of questions. At the moment, it doesn't look too bad, actually. Like, it's not as, as severe as, say, the Brazilian one, they think, you know. Hmm. But again, it's a work in progress to try to figure out what, what exactly that variant can do. The,
3: the, the, the nightmare scenario, of course, Luke, is, is the one the variant that comes that is vaccine resistant like what is the real scientific possibility of that happening that a a variant will come from somewhere that none of the vaccines we now have will will have any effect on it
8: yeah it's unlikely it's unlikely even though the vaccine mightn't be as strong against the variant, because obviously the vaccines is a previous form, you know, it, it, it won't be identical, obviously, but it'll be slightly different, but it probably will protect against severe disease, is the idea, because you will have some immunity, you know, against uh, any variant, because mm. they are similar, like the variant is, is different, but it's not hugely different, you know, so, so in other words, we're, we're more confident, actually, that the current vaccines. you may still get infected with the variants, because the immune system isn't quite as good, you know, mm. but it will be sufficient to stop it developing, into severe disease that's the current view but again mm. it's a bit of an unknown so it's something that we still wonder about but so there was a great study last week which we did where, where the Johnson and Johnson vaccine gave good protection against the South African variant, you know, for instance, mm. even though it was the a previous variant. So again, we're getting more evidence to suggest that the vaccine should give protection against severe disease. Mm.
3: So can we break down a small a little bit of, of science in, into plain man's English, Luke, that in terms of when you are vaccinated, a vaccine, am I right in saying here now, and correct me if I'm wrong, a vaccine doesn't stop you getting COVID. It stops you getting sick. And we hope that it stops you spreading when you, when COVID is in your body. Am I right in that statement?
8: That's, that's exactly it. You, you, make, you, you don't make a vaccine to stop you getting the sniffles, you know? You make a vaccine to stop you developing severe disease is the real idea here. And so, therefore, all the vaccines do that. I mean, you know, we often hear, oh, this one's 95% and that one's... Yeah. 70 and so on, that that doesn't really count that number. That just means risk of infection, you see. What really counts is stopping you ending up in hospital and getting really ill. And all the vaccines protect massively against that, which is great, you know. Now, some might actually stop you getting infected if they're really powerful, you know. But there's always a risk of the virus still getting into your nose, Mm. even though you have the vaccine. And it might grow there a bit, you see, because obviously... The immune system might not got to your nose, is the idea. But it certainly protects you from... from, When it's in your lungs, your immune system really beats it up and stops it spreading, you know? So it is a good point, yeah. The main main job of vaccines is to stop severe disease and illness, really.
3: How important is it to get people fully vaccinated compared to... Like, if we got through the whole adult population with at least one dose of a vaccine, like, how... is, Is that as good as or better than waiting for everyone to be fully vaccinated, because that's, that's quite a slow programme. But if we had every, every adult that wanted a vaccine could get one by the end of June, yeah. H- how how important would that be to have one dose in everybody?
8: Yeah, it's very important. That, that's a great goal, pigeon, anyways, because that means everybody's now protected up to a certain level, you see, and then, and then the whole the whole herd benefits, in a way, using the phrase herd immunity, in a way. You know? So that's right, a single shot will give you substantial protection, you see. And that's why we're pressing for the spacing out to be longer. That that makes sense in that situation, you mm. see. Especially in an emergency. Because now loads of people are now protected, you see. So, so therefore the the level of severe disease will definitely go down. You know? Now the second shot is still important because that will make it a durable response. Mm. That might last in your body for months and months and months. So that's the main reason for the second shot actually is to your long-term protection but there's no harm in having three four five months protection anyway and, and everybody is the idea you know and then that, that will have big benefits and so that, therefore in some countries like the uk they spread out the two shots because they knew this let's get as many people as possible protected up to a certain level and that will that will show benefits and indeed the evidence suggests that's the case you see so yes you're right i mean a single shot more widely used make makes sense
3: Mm. Now, there seems to be an amount of hesitancy, and there's an independent Irish independent report today saying that younger people are quite hesitant about the vaccine. Vaccine hesitancy is a problem, isn't it?
8: It, it is, but on the other hand, you've never seen such a frenzy for vaccines anywhere. I mean, everybody who's worked on vaccines over the years, they, there can be hesitancy across the board and you're trying to encourage people to bring their kids to their GP and stuff, you know. But if you ever everything the like of it. I mean, people are queuing up, aren't they? You know, and they're demanding certain vaccines over others. And they're complaining if they're given one and not another, this kind of thing, which is understandable, by the way. People are frustrated mm. for various reasons, they understand. But now, overall, there seems to be a very high level of compliance in not just in Ireland, but across the world. I guess it's because it's so serious. Now, mm. Now, of course, young people might be different because they're not at risk of disease, you see. We know they have low risk, and they themselves know there's a low risk of disease as well, you see. So, uh, so again, with those, young, with those younger people, there may well be hesitancy. And I think we're going to move on now, trying to convince young people, really, to, to to roll up and take the vaccine. That'll be our next challenge, in a way.
3: Mm-hmm. I, again, you hear so much talk, and if you open up, and it's a dangerous place to get anything, but if you open up your social media, you'll hear any kind of rumour about this side effect and that side effect. For example someone on the phone genuinely worried um, hearing that vaccines can cause infertility in young women. Yeah no evidence it. that was spread by um, anti-vaxxers they, they
8: targeted young women to make them worried basically you know yeah. uh, there's no evidence of any kind that vaccines cause infertility or will harm a developing baby or anything like that. But
3: nothing to worry about there at all And in a person with epilepsy that it could trigger massive seizures another rumour
8: Another rumour, yeah, what's good, is these vaccines have now been in hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. And they keep a very close eye on anything untoward, you know, and then they saw these rare clots. That was a good success story in a way, because those rare clots were spotted. They could be dealt with, very, very rare, which is fantastic, you know, because uh, it's so rare. And, and And it can be treated, actually, last week, the first person to have a rare clot from the AstraZeneca, was treated and they were fine, you know. Uh, but no, there's nothing to worry about. Uh, obviously, early on, there was evidence of allergic reaction which could turn into something like epilepsy or a severe allergic type thing, you know. But again, that, that can now be managed and, and it's extremely rare. So again, not, nothing to worry about there.
3: Mm. Getting back to the developing countries, because look, we're here in Northern Europe and our vaccines will come and we know they will. It might be slower than we like, but we know they'll come. But there are millions and millions of people in the developing world. And until they're all vaccinated, this thing That's will right. never go away.
8: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, there's two reasons to do that. One is to help people in those countries, because remember, there's still loads of vulnerable people who are older or health care workers in India being a great example. For it. You know, so so we have to get the vaccine out to all these developing countries just to help those people. Mm. And, and then secondly, then to stop the variants, because every time every time the virus divides, there's a risk of a variant. So, again, we've got to stop it dividing all over the world. <laughs> just as much as we stop it dividing here, you see, and and there's a big campaign. Remember, the Covax campaign is designed to provide the vaccine to developing countries, so we we, we will see that happening. What would it work be fast, us,
3: so. What would work faster? Wouldn't it be would be to allow uh, the intellectual property to be dropped, so that you could just, yeah. just literally churn the stuff out in every factory in the world? Yeah, and that's that's that's
8: starting to happen, PJ, By the way, the provi- in fact, for India now. The big pharma companies are providing all the ingredients into India allow so them to make the vaccine. You see, so so one solution would be to have local manufacturing in different parts of the world and let it let them do it. You wouldn't normally see that, you see, because companies are can be very cautious about these things. Yeah, but in this situation, when they're moving towards that to loosen up some of the. The, the patenting and so on, and let yeah. these countries make their
3: own supply of vaccines. as we mentioned, I mean, the size of the manufacturing industry, the vaccine manufacturing business in India, is so huge yeah. that if they could make their own, my goodness, they'd solve it. That, that's right, that's right, precisely. Which is what's going to happen, watch. I mean,
8: the Indians themselves are in bits, in a sense, when they see this happening, you know. And they, as you say, they've got the biggest vaccine factories in the world are in India. So it's a strange paradox in a way, isn't it? But now you'll see a massive ramping up of vaccine production there to get it out as quickly as possible.
3: Where are we going with regard to lateral test, lateral flow testing or antigen testing uh, as we try to reopen? How important yeah. is it? Like, I was listening to a program in the UK, Luke, the other day, where, and I heard an ad, and unless I've misinterpreted the ad, if you have something coming up where you might need to get tested for, you can go to your local NHS health centre and get tests free. Yeah, yeah, free. That's right. Yeah. Well the UK have
8: massively ramped up testing, p g And in fact they've they're giving out tests to every household, which is one way to deal with this, and that every house have ten or twenty tests in the hall before you go out you test yourself, you know. And if you're positive you stay home. It's obvious. It's obvious.
3: And how reliable
8: are those? They've got yeah, they are reliable. I mean, again there was a lot of toing and fro-ing, you know, a few months ago. Are they reliable? Yeah, are there is there a false positive or a false negative, all those kinds of questions came up, you know, and then the EU got behind them. And the and if you look at the website, you'll see, if you search for this, the EU, you'll see accredited tests, you see, so that are reliable, you know. And again, our own our own country, Mark Ferguson, he's the head of Science Foundation, he chaired a huge big committee, produced a big report, it was about two weeks ago, to say, please get these tests out, you know. And now the plan is to do pilot schemes. Uh, they're going to take their time as usual, but there will be a couple of pilot schemes. They're going to do it in universities and schools initially, you see. So there's no doubt we're moving in that direction. And that, that's a really good thing.
3: Are you a little frustrated, Luke, with the speed of the rollout here and the availability of supply?
8: I, I think we're doing, a, on the vaccine front, Peter, we're not doing too bad, I'd say. And remember, we're getting great numbers at the moment. And, and day by day, the numbers go up, you see. And, and we can now project into the future. And let's hope, uh, the, the key number, remember, is 80% of our adult population having at least one shot by the by, by the end of June, the Teach said, didn't he? So that's a reasonable goal, you see, and I think we can achieve that. So I don't think it's too bad. I mean some countries went really like Israel is the gold standard in a way. They were very rapid, weren't they? They got they're now fully vaccinated. And mm. in fact what struck me, PJ, was two weeks ago, they've now announced they're exiting the pandemic, which is a great phrase, isn't it? And that's because of the vaccination. They
3: effectively have herd immunity over there now. Don't so they, they
8: have. It looks like it. Yeah, the numbers look spectacular there now. I mean, all the
3: cases are right down, hospitalizations. They're fully open almost in Israel now because of vaccination. Mm. And again, we're getting the evidence, and you and I have talked with this before. The the, un, the imponderable with regard to a vaccine is, does it stop you being infective rather than infected? Yeah. And the the numbers there are very promising.
8: They are, yeah. And again, what's happening is we're analyzing all these countries closely. Uh, Israel, the UK and the US, of course, are out of everybody. So, and there's evidence now that the vaccine stops spread. And getting back to our previous thing, you might still get a tiny bit of infection, you know, but it won't spread to someone else is the idea here. And again, the evidence for that grows and grows. And that's great news, PJ, because that means the virus is on the run. Oh It yeah. so can't spread anymore. You know, when when, when
3: you and I point. first spoke about this a few months ago, it generally was an imponderable. And we didn't know until it went out there. Right. The number, but the numbers are coming back exactly as you'd want them. Another call, Luke. I've had chemotherapy recently. I'm worried about getting vaccines.
8: Yeah, again, I wouldn't. I
3: mean, anybody, any concerns,
8: and obviously people will have lots of different medical conditions, just check with your GP or the vaccinator when you go for the vaccine. Just double check, you see. And the GPs are a great source of comfort to people. You know, you, tr- you can trust your GP. You can say, look, I've ha-, and they'll know your medical record, hopefully, and they- they'll reassure you. And with chemo, no, there's no reason if you've had chemo not to get the vaccine. And it's very important because like, you're at high risk of, of, of a disease if you've got yes. chemo, you see. Because your immune that system is benjaxed. Exactly, and I don't any risk from the vaccine, you see? So, and again, it's about that, the clotting thing, which we've been over lots of times. You know, the the risk from this disease in your sixties far exceeds any risk of getting a clot. So, the advice is to take the vaccine. You've got to weigh up the risks in a way. You know, it's a tricky thing for people to do, but but it's important to get that message out.
3: Okay. Well, I don't think Luke, when we first spoke uh, about a year ago, with regard to this. Did you foresee we would still be in the middle of it? Did you think we'd get out of it faster? Or yeah. how confident are you that this time next year we can talk about COVID-19 as an item of our history?
8: Well, oh, by God, I hope so, Peter. Don't you? thats us we're talking. You've got to ask me on to talk about
3: something else at some point, right? <laughs> <laughs> I promise I will. I promise. We'll talk um, about, we'll talk about the shambolics I, or the metabolics. <laughs>
8: exactly. No any, anything. Anything we'll do with this. <laughs> um, oh, no, listen. I mean, we have to be very confident and we can see it now, can't we? I mean, certainly the next two or three months it will get better and better, no doubt, you know, uh, simply because of this fantastic vaccination campaign that we've been discussing, you see. I didn't think we'd be still in the thick of it in a sense a year on though, but then we didn't know, did we? We didn't know what was going to happen, so so I, I think it's a bit of a surprise it's still dominant in all our minds, isn't it? You know, but all, we're all looking for respite,
3: aren't we? <laughs> yeah. this, people are so getting tough. very sick and tired of it. Oh, now.
8: god, and so and more than anybody, I mean, I work on it, so it's not too bad for me because it's part of my job, you know, but I imagine most people are going, oh, listen, not again, you know. But then the fact is, the stories keep coming, don't they? So, something new keeps coming with this damn thing, doesn't it? I mean. The clotting incident was the big one lately and then the AstraZeneca and so on. Our next discussion, PJ, will be with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Watch, you know, about that that today, hopefully, or tomorrow, they'll release that. Do you think they will? Oh, they have to, yeah, yeah, I think they must. It'll be interesting. Let's see what they might put up mm. some restri- restrictions on it. What do you to- expect? I mean, like, what, what do you expect NIAC will do? I suspect they'll say over 50s, maybe something they might restrict it with the age. In other words, based on risk, again, you know, they'll say that let's go down to the ages. But I'd be very surprised if they don't let it in the over 50s, which is what we need. It's 600,000 doses and it's a single shot, remember. Mm. That that, in fact, that vaccine, to give you an idea, that will protect 15% of the Irish adults if we deploy all those vaccines. Isn't that
3: great? a number. You know. <laughs> So and what, what level? Again, again, you said it to me before, so I'm, I'm kind of asking you a question you've already answered. Is it two weeks after that, Johnson and Johnson? Then, yeah. You, 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 the chances of you getting in any way seriously ill are what? Very small. Very, very small. That. Right. I
8: mean, they, they put. Yeah. I mean, you get the immune system has to get going. Obviously, so the vaccine goes into your body. And that takes a bit of time then to get the immune system trained. You know, two to three weeks will be typical for any vaccine really. you know. I think with Johnson & Johnson, yeah, probably two weeks after. Now your immune system is all the players are on the field, if you like, you know, and they're good right. to go. So that's the way to think of it. And, and of course, the people are the people clamoring for that one. Because it's a single shot, isn't it? You know, it's it's the second shot and then
3: another two. I heard a lot of people talking about, um, of late, some vaccinators who were giving out AstraZeneca. Now, before they put the limits on it, because I know one young person who works in a pharmacy, they got an AstraZeneca. And I was impressed with what the vaccinator told them. They said, look, you might feel ropey tonight and tomorrow, you might get chills and shivers and feel like you've got the flu. Someone else told me that they felt like they had the worst hangover of their adult life. But is it true that that is just your immune system going hey, what the hell is this? And then ease off lads, it's friendly fire.
8: Precisely. If, if you feel a bit rough, that means that the, the players are on the fields, basically. It means your immune system is now doing its job, in a way. Because th- those symptoms are coming off your immune system, interestingly, you see. So, so in other words, if you feel a bit groggy, a bit flu, that's a good thing. Now, obviously, if you feel really bad, bring up your GP, mm. because obviously you never know. You could have some underlying condition again, and maybe, you know... Mm. You but shiv- that, that, shiv- that might, that shivery and horrible, like you're breathing the flu... Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and then take, take a Panadol, a Paracetamol, that, that can relieve, as if you, as if you have a cold or a flu, remember. And then the famous one, Peter, take a glass of flat 7-up as your
3: only man. Ah, sure, listen. It. Well, you see, no, no, in Luke, Luke in Cork, we use flat tenora. Oh,
8: well, of course you do, I beg your pardon. <laughs> and that's much more effective. Prove it to
3: listen, we'll, we'll talk again. Thank you, as always, for your time. I, um, oh, hold on, is there one more? Uh, is there one more? There? Yeah, paracetamol will help. That, that's that been answered. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Luke O'Neill. The lines are
0: live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850
2: 715 996.
0: Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96.
2: Email opinion at 96 ie.
0: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
2: on Cork's 96FM.
3: Just on the ice cream thing, if anybody knows of strange flavours, flavours you've never seen before or tasted before being sold around Cork, do let us know because we are looking for wild stuff. Like I said, my, my friend in Douglas, uh, Marcelo, does some wonderful, wonderful ice creams when he's open but I don't think he's doing it at the moment because I know he's doing takeaway and stuff but... Uh, like Granny Smith ice cream like come on what about Sisteme? what about a nice cork beamish ice cream with a different head to the body just a thing on a hot day other people have been off drinking cider what about an ice cream made with beamish in it just the job boy yeah uh, Mags in Carigaline wants a Bovril flavoured ice cream a what Mags? a Bovril flavoured ice cream Dustin, I love it, Coca-Cola Lauren, does anyone do Vietnam coffee flavours in Cork? I'd have one right now There seems to be a variety of different flavours of coffee out of Vietnam Ever since we all got into this coffee roasting and doing our own And buying the bags and making it at home Vietnamese coffee is incredibly popular Anyone doing Vietnam coffee flavoured ice cream? Amanda, uh, cayenne pepper and curry and mint I love it Bulmer cider ice cream On a hot Sunny day Oh Patrick Oh I'd crawl over Broken glass Just to look at it <laughs> Patrick uh, Another Patrick um, I would suggest A fina ice cream Taste like old shoes Cause we can't Buy New ones Oh Right There's a wind up Going on there Yes Between Finn and Mags um, I'm On the Bovril Right Still, though, you know, Bavaro flavored ice cream, would you? Would you? eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. We we'll come back to them. Any strange ideas that you have for uh, an ice cream? I saw the pictures of this over the weekend. I know exactly where this happened and I know they've got someone on CCTV but let's not identify anybody at all. Toker Tidy Towns tweeted at the weekend that their lovely planters had been, one of them had been vandalised and broken. Um, Carolyn, good morning.
9: Hi, good morning PJ, how are you?
3: Good, I know these ones. They're down there by the garage, aren't they?
9: That's right They're That's lovely right. Yeah. yeah They they are absolutely beautiful um, And actually There's a little bit I suppose Of a community story Behind them as well PJ In that The three planters Themselves were made By volunteers um, And they were put Into place by Other volunteers uh, Then we had uh, Dennis Another volunteer Gave us topsoil mm. Compost and so on Put them in then uh, Marion went out bought the plants for them. They were planted up by three more volunteers. And they were painted by uh, Dhoni, who would be well-known in the area for all his tidy town's work um, as well. So like, there was a lot of goodwill and good spirit gone into putting those in place, I
3: suppose. People would walk past them and go, they're ours. We put yeah. them to." Yeah, they're lovely.
9: Yes. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And, you know, just even the goodwill, PJ, of people seeing people do that work. Do you know, and something pleasant to look at. So yeah, so we're very disappointed. I got a call from our community guards at nine thirty on Sunday morning to say that one of them had been vandalised and turned upside down and, and partially broken. So um so yeah, so we, we went to look at it. Obviously garages you know, it has C C T V so that's in the hands of the guards and, and we leave it we leave it there. But um by ten thirty we had other volunteers came out, and they had rectified it and put it back into place and mended it with grapter mended it,
3: fantastic,
9: um, and put it back
3: into place. Because so there's not something you'd casually just snap a piece off. They're made out of deck board, them. like they're they're strong.
9: Yeah, they they were very substantial, very very substantial. Um, and in actual fact, the same volunteers have made various other planters for voluntary groups around Cork as well. So these weren't just randomly made in somebody's back garden, mm. you know. So um, yeah, yeah, it was. You know, at at the beginning, I suppose you you get a little bit despondent, but I suppose the importance of it all is that you look at the people that actually did it and the people that helped fix it afterwards. And when people pass by, you don't want people to see something that's broken and go, oh God, here we go again, isn't this awful? Mm. So, you know, by 11 o'clock Sunday morning, nobody knew any different, except that we really just wanted to give the people who actually did it the opportunity to, you know, step forward and help us out with something else. Yeah. You know, we don't want, nobody wants to listen to me giving out for 10 minutes on why people are doing this and the mess of the place or different things. We need, we need to make a change, really. We need to kind of have a kind of a positive outlook on it.
3: You did offer that if the person comes forward.
9: Yes. Yeah, that there would be no prosecution then. If they came forward and did a bit of voluntary work um, and that with us, we'd be more than happy to let it go. Okay.
3: Okay. You do, it. it's it's a busy group, the Toker Tidy Towns. You don't have to drive through the place, you won't spend five minutes driving through and there's someone in a high-vis. You're a very busy group.
9: Yeah, PJ, it's fantastic. We have, I mean, Toker's a very large area mm. um, and we have got volunteers from all walks of life in all different areas in that, um, around Toker um, and we use that as well to kind of, you know, try to, I suppose, get a bit of feedback as to what areas would like what and then people put it in place, you know, Um I suppose like that as well, we have been blessed as well with um, a few employee community days. What day. uh, so, Yeah, so it, it's actually quite interesting because a lot of people don't know it's available. So there's a lot of big companies, um, for example, Dell have helped us out um, quite a bit. And they offer 10 hours per quarter in the year at no expense to the employee to come out into their community and do voluntary work. Oh. Now, that's all over Cork City and County. So, And it depends on what kind of like, project or whatever. So they come out in force, and maybe 20 people, we set a project, and then they come and they get going with that project and complete it. But it's at no cost to the employee. Right. And so obviously they're coming out of work. You know, they're doing it through their
3: working hours. Okay, so they get paid their wages as they're normally at work, but they come out and help in the community for the day. Yep. That's and brilliant.
9: Then plus, as well, the company gives €150 Euros to charities, if it was a charity work on that as well, and they would donate €150 Euros to the, the charity cause as well. And I'm sure that's something that people don't know. That's, but it's a, exactly fabulous that's cause, a fabulous idea. That's a
3: fabulous idea. You're big on recycling there as well.
9: We are. We are well, we, we've we got kind of an upcycling um, campaign at the moment. Um, and you can see some of the pictures like that on our Facebook uh, where we're kind of looking for people to take on board. We'll say, for example, I just did an, an old bicycle there now over the weekend. And my dad did it, actually. I'll have to give him the credit first. Um, and we upcycled it, made it into a planter, you know, put moss on it for biodiversity. Um, so we're looking for people to do that and send us in photographs. You know, um, and give other people ideas in that forest as well. You know.
3: Okay, cool idea, and, and I, and I hope that I hope that everything is sorted out quickly and efficiently. And maybe the person will come forward and g- yes. give us a few hours' work, and we'll take and, it no further.
9: Actually, PJ, if, if I could as well, actually, because I know that this is, you know, again in the news all the time at the moment in relation to the groups around the place, yeah. and, you know, the drinking parties and so on. So we have the most beautiful walkway down by um, Coffey's Field. It's a river walk, basically. Mm. And we're trying to enhance it and develop it as well. But there would obviously be drinking parties going on down there. And I suppose, like, our plea to people who are down there is very often where they drink isn't a residential area. So, therefore, they're not interfering with people that are living nearby. But if they actually cleaned up after themselves, the following day, nobody will be any the wiser. Yeah. So, like, there is, you know, there is a way of, it's not rocket science, don't draw attention to yourself by actually keeping the place clean you know, and then keeping the noise down when they're actually leaving and that. We're not encouraging people to go there, mm. but we're in for a long summer. This is only April. Yeah. And we do want to be fighting with people all the time about cleaning up and the bottles and whatever. And we, we tried to reinstate the river. We've actually managed to get a few trout back in that as oh, well. And yeah, it was fantastic. And was, there's ducks there, there's beautiful heron there.
3: I haven't uh, been down there in years.
9: PJ, it's lovely. It really is a lovely walk. But as I said, unfortunately, every so often... Spoiled after the weekend of drinking parties mm. but nobody would know the difference and again you see you're talking about families going down with their children and they see this negativity of all this mm-hmm. stuff around the place mm-hmm. they don't need to see that and, and what's it teaching the kids mm-hmm. do you know so it's the same really with the lock i'm all yeah. for city council get out put your toilets in put the facilities in um, because it's not just the people out there drinking when mom has a three-year-old in the playground where does that three-year-old go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. You know, so like there's things like that. I think that really there has to be a different approach to it because we're going to be in for a very long summer otherwise. Yeah,
3: yeah. And the idea of, again, I've said this many times, Carolyn, if you go uh, into a park or go to a beach or go wherever for the day, okay, there might not be enough bins and the bins that are there might be full and that shouldn't be happening. But here's the thing. What happened to the simple practice of taking a black bag and bring your own stuff home.
9: I, I think even to encourage people to do that is probably wouldn't be as successful even as build the black pasture bag and leave it by our bin. Like we actually put in a bin at the first lockdown, we put in a bin there at the start of Coffee Field. Mm. And what is wonderful to see is that people actually walking are actually bringing back bags of bottles and that from other people and dropping it off at the bin if the bin is full. You know, and we're more than happy to take that rubbish away and City Council would do collect the rubbish and that as well for us. Mm. But, you know, there is no point, I suppose... A little bit of personal
3: responsibility. Take away your own stuff. Collect it.
9: Totally, collect it. And as I said, and even leave it there for us. You know, and that's not a problem. But don't, don't throw it into the road here. Don't leave it around the place. Um, And as I said, there would be less attention drawn to everybody if they could just help us out and just follow
3: those few guidelines. Great idea. Carolyn, thank you very much. Carolyn Miller from the Toker Tidy Towns Group. Very, very active. I love that. Employee Community Day. Love it. Five or ten people go out for the day from a company and they do a little project in the community and they get paid their wage and the company makes a donation to save the Tidy Towns and everyone goes home happy. I like that. That's a nice job. 18.50 715996. Owen, dark chocolate with black pudding crumble. Black pudding crumble and dark cherry sauce. Tried and tested and sold to happy people. Where, Owen? So you're saying, is this one chocolate? Dark chocolate. I would love that one. Right? Black pudding crumble. You serious? That's a nice one. Dark cherry sauce. I've had the dark cherry. And I've had the dark chocolate. You're talking about putting the black pudding in with one of those? Crikey. And if so, where are you selling it? On WhatsApp, at a garlic festival, they had garlic ice cream. (laughs) There was a lot of it in the bin, so I say it didn't work too well. 1850 715 By the way, speaking of DIY and building things and making things and having to remake things after some scut decides to kick it over here. And I, do you remember I mentioned to you a week or two ago about my IKEA project? My 24 box or 23 box packet IKEA project. <laughs> it happened at the weekend. I'll tell you about it later.
7: Can we just talk?
3: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM.
2: With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
0: Simon Murdoch and the best music mix.
2: Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Monday at work or maybe you're heading for a game of tennis or a round of golf. I'm on the radio with the big tunes and all things Cork, straight after The Opinion Line here on Cork's 96FM.
3: Just stuff coming in about vaccines and trying to get people vaccinated and people who registered two weeks ago and still haven't had a call and then someone who registered the other day got a call the day after. That all seems to be based... I think that is kind of down to where you registered. If your loc- if your own GP has a sufficiently big practice that they're doing the vaccinations in the practice, that might happen faster than you having to go to one of the big centres like City Hall or MTU or wherever. Just a thought. And more ice cream suggestions coming in. Uh, the, uh, Uzo and Tanora. <laughs> well, Uzo, yeah. Tanora, oh my God, Tanora. Oh my God, Tanora ice cream. How massive would that be? 1850, 715, 996. We have talked many times in the past about the invisible disability. This is the person who uses, quite legitimately, a disabled space, but you don't see their disability as such. Uh, my late dad, for example, my dad would stand up straight and look fit and healthy, but the poor man couldn't walk 20 or 30 yards because of the condition that he had. So we had a blue badge for dad so he could go for a haircut and stuff like that. But, you know, if it was an invisible disability, please, there was wrong. This is something like that. Shah, good morning.
10: Good morning, how are you?
3: Good. Now, you have an invisible Disability it, it affects your leg, yes
10: I do, that's correct, yeah
3: okay, and it can be quite painful, which means you can't you can't walk very far:
10: extremely painful. Now, I have good days and bad days, but um throughout the years I've been on all different kinds of painkillers and I'm on constant pain medication, and I go into the hospital for pain treatments regularly and things like that
3: right, right and and therefore you can't it, it affects the fact that you, you you would look okay standing in front of me, no one would know is that right?
10: Yeah, that's correct. Like, if I'm wearing a pair of jeans, you won't see it at all. But when I'm wearing a pair of shorts, people generally point and laugh. Oh, dear. Yeah.
3: Okay. What happened in Clannacilty yesterday? You legitimately parked in a disability space.
10: I parked in a disability space on Wolf Tone Street yesterday evening. Just just after 6pm, I'd say. And I came back to my car a while later with a note on the windscreen. Um, Now, my boyfriend, he was wearing a Leeds jersey, Mm. And, I I mean, it must have been someone that was living on that street somewhere that saw him getting out of the car. The note read, lead scum parking in disability spaces. Ah, come on. Yeah. So, I wasn't sure, like, at first we were kind of like, okay, maybe it was someone we knew joking around. And then we were kind of like, no, it definitely wasn't because... I don't think any of our friends are that cruel, you know.
3: And you had your blue badge displayed.
10: I had my badge visibly displayed in the window, but you see what it is as well as I drive kind of a car that stands out too. So I think that has a lot of it to do with it as well. Right. But um, no, I mean, yes. Is a it an kid. adapted
3: car or something?
10: No, no, it's not adapted or anything. But it's um, it's 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 a bright coloured car. It really okay. stands out, you know. Okay.
11: Okay.
10: okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> It, I don't think that helps because I don't know. People seem to be in the kind of frame of mind, you know, if you're disabled, you you know, you can't have a nice car. <laughs> yeah. Like I've I've seen plenty of times as well. You know, people saying, "Well, you know, if you're disabled, why are you out after six o'clock?" Yeah. Yeah. You now, know?
3: You're only twenty-seven, Jack. I'm
10: twenty-seven. Yeah.
3: And you've had this since you were born, and it and it's getting worse. That's hard to live with.
10: Yes, extremely. And I mean, I suffer severe depression and things because of it.
3: Yeah. So, how did you respond when you came out and saw that note yesterday?
10: I was very upset. I tried my best not to have an absolute meltdown, to be honest with you, because yeah. I was—I've actually been suffering uh, severe depression the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months. I mean, as many people are, especially in this climate but um, it's been particularly bad for me recently with my leg because I've been in a lot of pain mm. and um, I was just kind of starting to get my head right and yesterday was the first time I'd left the house really in, in kind of weeks. I haven't, that was the first time I actually went for a spin since we were able to go within our county. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of disheartening for me to have come back to that and yeah. kind of feel like, oh, you know, I'm trying to, trying to be happy, but then, you know, there's always people that are just coming back at you.
3: Like we've no, we've no idea who it was could have been someone made a bad judgment. They were trying to use the space or could have been a local. We don't know who did it, but whoever did it shouldn't have done it.
10: No, I agree. And I I actually, uh, I knocked on a few doors to ask people who were living nearby if they'd seen anything or if it was them.
3: Yeah. See, there is this thing, and I mentioned it with regard to my late dad, like that when he stood up straight and tall, you know, you'd never think there was anything wrong with him. Yeah. But he couldn't walk. 20-30 yards because he had COPD, advanced COPD, yeah. and and like the, the same with you. To you stand up, like I said, wearing a pair of jeans, no one would even notice. No, but, you wouldn't but, think by looking at me. But every step is pain. Yeah,
10: and a lot of people say to me I have a sunny disposition, which sometimes in a way doesn't help my situation, you know. But well, fair, play to you. Of fair, day, fair
3: play to you for having a bright disposition when you live with such a painful situation.
10: Thank you. It is, it is. It is hard. I won't lie. It is hard, um, mm. and especially like I mean, it's, it's happened to me really almost almost every time I pass in a disability. space, there'll be someone saying something, or someone pointing, or there's always something. Yeah. Like I remember in Mahon Point about two years ago, I parked in a disability space, and it was an actually elderly woman practically came in my window to tell me I couldn't park there. I wasn't allowed to park there, even though my badge was in the windscreen, but she didn't check first.
3: Badge is there with your picture on it, like they yeah. don't, they don't, they don't give them out as as spot prizes, like.
10: Exactly. I mean, I, I waited a year and a half to get that badge. I had to fight for it, because my condition is so rare, they don't understand it. Right. Yeah. And I just I find it very disheartening, like people are far too quick to judge. Yeah,
3: yeah. I think the message is very clear, Shanna. I hope that you'll be feeling a bit better soon. And look, maybe whoever did that, is, is listening and...
10: I hope so, yeah. You know, well, it be okay. To get if, apology, if, but one can dream, right?
3: <laughs> if, they, if they were listening, and I know we've got a big listenership in Tlana Kilty and West Cork in general, if somebody was listening and made that assumption yesterday, what would you like to say to them?
10: Just don't. Don't make that assumption. Check to see if the badge is there first. And if you don't believe that it's a real badge, that's why there's reference numbers on it. Ring the Disability Association and find out if it's real. Yeah. yeah. If it's a legitimate badge. That's all I'm saying. Like, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't be so quick to leave nasty notes like that. Yeah. To something that they have no idea about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, everybody's suffering their own battles. You know, not everything is obvious. Just think before you leap. Yes. Don't ruin somebody else's day because you're having a bad one.
3: Yeah. And you know what? Don't let anything like this affect your bright disposition, Sha, because it's been lovely talking to you.
10: Thanks very much. It's been lovely talking to you too. Take care.
3: 1850 715
7: 996. Can we just talk
3: the Opinion Line on
0: Corks 96 FM with
2: dairy-made Premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your
0: guide to nightlife on the side.
8: Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Virginia Woolf's To the Lighthouse is a masterpiece of modernism and brought vividly to dramatic life by Ireland's foremost playwright Marina Carr. Filmed on the Everyman stage, this digital capture of the stage production will be broadcast as part of the Cork Midsummer summer Festival 2021. Access
2: all areas.
8: Damien Dempsey's show this May at Cypress Avenue has been rescheduled and announced for February 2022. Anyone with tickets for the original show can use them for the rescheduled date check out more information at cypressavenue.ie Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access all areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streamed events by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie Access
2: All areas Your
0: guide to nightlife on side
2: On Cork's 96
3: FM There's some suggestions coming in for your mad ice creams Do you know what would be really nice? If we had someone who makes ice cream Listening to the show And we prepared to take on one of our mad flavours Because apparently anything that you can get a strong flavour from You can get into an ice cream (laughs) Wouldn't it be crazy? 1850-715-996. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. We are big fans on this show and have been for many years, and having met the man personally once or twice and worked with him on projects where I was the MC at things he was speaking at, the sheer force of nature that his father, Peter McVerry, uh, is one of the most wonderful men in Ireland. Um, and his interview on Tommy Tiernan a few weeks back is, is well worth a watch. even those who've interviewed him many times. We're taken aback by the openness of that interview. Just a wonderful, wonderful man. But he, the, the Peter McVary Trust uh, works in his name. And the Peter McVeary Trust is to open a base here in Cork and some new uh, accommodation, badly needed accommodation. The CEO of the Peter McVeary Trust is Pat Doyle. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Good Peter's, morning, to Peter's work is, is legendary and we love talking to him on the show and have done many, many times. But this is a, a, a really new development for Cork. Tell me what's happening.
12: Well, w- w- we've been working with Cork City Council and Cork County Council uh, for over a year now. Um, we felt we should be in the, the, um, the second city. And so we're down and we're, we're not doing, PJs, we're not building new stuff down in Cork. What we're doing is trying to bring back in disused properties Trying to bring back in upper four-floor floor properties, derelict properties, um, and we have a bit of a skill at that. We've built up a bit of a practice in Limerick and in Dublin, so we're sharing that knowledge now in Cork, and we're working with private landlords and the local authorities to bring in as many as we can. I think we've brought in about 28 so far, mm. and we have another 68 in the pipeline this year. Wow! And uh, they're from ranging from in the city uh, down on the east there to to Cove and. To you and then across then to Bandon and Bantry, um, and 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 in between. So we're we're um, we're pleased with the progress. It's not revolutionary. It's twenty eight units so far, but it's given sixty eight people so far a key to the door. You know, you're, so the families there with children who have never had their own key to the door. So it's a privilege.
3: You're going into the old disused bank on North Main Street.
12: Yeah. Yeah, that's an exciting project because you know the way the banks are going. You've seen the announcements there in the last few weeks about Bank of Ireland, for example. So the banks are reducing their their footprint on the ground, and really, it's not like another bank is going to come in and replace them. So the disused uh, TSB uh, building there on North Street, uh, north, uh, Main Street uh, north Main Street, you're not going to get another bank going in there. And I think AOB and Bank of Ireland are already in the district anyway. So that building was lying idle. So we're, we've worked with the landlord and we're bringing in five one-bed units. Now, half the population of homeless are single, and they require a one-bed unit. And it's hard to get developers to build them because they're very expensive, and they don't get the same value out of them. So we're turning the bank into five units, and we're also... There was another unit there that was too small to be a kind of a a one-bed, and it was either turning into a studio or an office. So we're taking our regional office in Cork, and we're going to have it um on that street and that'll all be open in the next month so five keys to the door and our our, um our fourth regional office so we have a regional office in dundalk we've won uh, and sorry in drada we've won in limerick we've won in in nace and now we're opening our cork office so we're really 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 delighted about that so people will see a permanent presence on the ground with us in cork and just like in other areas people can pop in then and uh, we can we can chat with them yeah. on a daily basis and help them with their housing needs.
3: Now, you operate on the principle of housing first, and yeah. probably for the hundredth time, Pat, just explain that for me.
12: I suppose it's it's, um, it's a very basic um, idea about giving people the house first. Years ago, um, in Ireland, it used to be, you know, when you deal with your alcoholism PJ wheel, We'll give you a key to the door and you deal with your mental health, Mary, and we'll give you a key to the door. And some people never fully deal with their alcoholism, never fully deal with their mental health. But with supports, they can do a lot better. And the research says people do a lot better from their own home than they do from a hostel. So rather than sending someone in to a hostel um, and saying deal with your alcoholism in there when other people are drinking, possibly, um, we're saying give them the key to the door. And then people do better. And in a hostel, the research people say is 40% people get beyond their issues. In in their own home, it's 85%. So giving people the key to the door helps them then to stop worrying about that and focus on their other issues. And Mm -hmm. if they have health issues, mental health issues, addiction, education, disadvantage, whatever that might be, they do better from their key to the door. So housing forces, key to the door first, then the wraparound services, and we'll get you sorted and everything else. And, and do you works.
3: provide a channel for those services?
12: Oh, we do indeed. We do indeed. And we, we have our own uh, nursing teams. We have our own addiction supports. We, we link with local authorities. So, for example, in Dublin alone, we have housed 360 people in Housing first. Do you know, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know whether you saw the primetime programme some of your listeners will see the primetime programme that was on on homelessness before Christmas there were three homeless people identified in that for example and two of them the Trust has housed in Housing First already. Oh so brilliant! really, really delighted. Support.
3: I saw that I, I saw that programme. Yeah,
12: so the young lady that was on that and the young lad that was on us. Um, there was a young lad from Kildare and a young lady from Dublin. Yes and we we're both working with them now in Housing Force.
3: Oh that's fantastic. And, yes. and and the people who go into your units um Pat, do they pay rent?
12: Oh they do, they do.
3: Um getting a getting a unit with the Peanut
12: MacRae Trust is the same as getting a unit with the council. All the nominations are agreed with the council and the rents are the same and your entitlements are the same. So if you go into a single unit and end up getting married and have a gang of kids, then you're entitled to a transfer. You know, um, into another local authority unit. So we, we run very much in partnership with uh, um, the local authority, and all, everything is agreed with them. And our standards and quality and everything else um, are as good, if not better. And uh, people have the same rights and entitlements. And the rent is based on what's known as a differential rent. So if you're on 100 euro, you pay 15. You know, it's you know, you pay fifteen euro if you're on two hundred euro, you pay thirty. If you're on three hundred euro, you pay forty five, and on and on and on. Um, And and if you get land that big job, uh, you know, in ninety six FM in Cork, and you're on the big money PJ, then Mm. you know you'd be paying even more rent. You know,
3: Mm. and rightly, (laughs) and rightly so. You are looking at other unused sites in the city. I think are you?
12: We are, and um, the first there's there's a couple of government schemes called repair and lease and buy and renew. So that's where we work with a landlord and we'll say, listen, we'll bring this back for you if you allow us to put social housing into it for for 10 or 20 years and we'll pay for the, the capital works up front and then we'll deduct it all your rent over the 10 or 15 years as long as you allow us to lease it from you. And we work, so it's a partnership between the trust, the local authority and the landlord. And we're looking at a great scheme at the moment um, where we're looking to bring in 18 units above floor. Now, everybody will know this. Go through any small town in Cork and you look over the shops yes. and there's nothing happening above them. Yes. So this is, this is good for local towns, good for renewal, um, good for tidy towns. It's also good for the environment because, um, you know, you, you see me when it comes to the carbon footprint of my daughter, my 16-year-old daughter, and they're all into the environment now, rightly so, and, you know, they will say that um, you use 80% less carbon emissions by bringing back in an old unit than building a new
3: unit. Where you're going in, I don't know whether you're aware of this or not, I'm sure you must be, uh, mm-hmm. North Main Street was in the 90s and into the early noughties, uh, it was the focus of a project called Over the Shop, Brilliant. And, and there was a uh, the number of spaces over the shops that yeah. people were trying to develop into apartments, I don't know how far it went, but I did see one or two of the conversions at the time. Small spaces yeah. turned into to living spaces, supposing you were take a building over a past like how quickly yeah. how quickly does it take to to as it were flip like take the permanent DSB. how quick has it taken to flip that, and who does the work
12: well we we lead out on that and it's, uh, you know then we, it's contractors we, we get contractors to do it for us but the the really good thing there is that um the government have brought in a scheme last year where it 's almost um An academic exercise that you fill in a form to say, I want to change this from from a bank to residential. So it's not full planning. You're not going through the whole rigmarole of full planning and the whole lot. So um, you can do it much speedy. So if we get a unit, we can turn things around in three months. Whereas you know that if it's a new housing scheme, you have to go for planning, you have to get a design team, the whole lot takes forever and a day. So there are lots of housing projects and lots of housing organizations doing the big schemes, but the trust primarily works with vulnerable people. They need to be housed individually. They don't need to be all housed together. And, um, and so the, you know, the small schemes of trees and fives and sixes, pepper potted around the city and the county is, is the way we've gone. And you'll see in the next year now we'll be in, we're already have a small project in Bantry. We have a larger one um, of six coming into Bantry and uh, in West Cork, Bandon, Cove, Passage West, Charles, Charlesville, um, Mallow and Milton. So we have a whole load of schemes there. And then, What generally happens when we're on a street where the bank is now other developers will come into us other landlords will come into us so you'll find when we were in drahada for example where we started with one scheme on the main streets and we now have three or four little ones pepper potted down the street so we're hoping that will make a significant difference in the city as well and bring back bring a bit of life back in and, and and primarily give people a key to the door it's a huge privilege um and as i said 68 people so far have given the key to the door And we hope to, you know, uh, to bring in another sixty, seventy units this year, and like there could be two to three people per unit there, so that'll make a big difference to people's lives.
3: It's fantastic! It's fantastic, and delighted to see it happening and happening at pace in Cork. You've helped, you've helped over nearly sixty people in Cork in your first year, and now this brilliant development in North Main Street. Pat Doyle, CEO of the Peter McVerry Trust, please give my best, my personal best regards to the man himself, and hopefully we'll speak again soon. Thank you. Kevin says that last interview, the Peter McVary one, was music- Music to my ears. People have been on with you for as long as I've been listening, calling for this to happen. Yeah, I remember that. I brought it up there with with him, with Pat, Kevin. The living over the shop idea back in the 90s. Uh, and it, I, I, it kind of burned itself out. Actually, maybe I can ask Dan Boyle about it in a minute because uh, uh, he was active in politics even back then. Uh, but Dan... joins me, I saw this because I was driving down Skahard Road recently some trees being knocked quite a large number of mature trees cut down on Skahard Road now it's part of a road widening project but a lot of people upset to see the trees being cut down. Dan good morning to you. Good morning PJ Uh, We know what's happening down there, there's a cycle lane going in and the the road is being widened so the trees kind of had to come down didn't they?
13: uh well it 's part of what had been planned for uh and there is replanting as part of the process I, I, I suppose the difficulty is is that our consultation processes in relation to this they they can be quite technical we 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 do have a a consultation portal on the city council uh website and people are encouraged and, and several do uh, whenever these these proposals are made uh, but uh because of the detail in them uh pe- people tend not to see what the consequences are until they actually happen. Uh, We've not only seen them as Scarhawk Road, we've seen it in relation to the uh, Black Rock uh, Passage Greenway as well uh, in recent weeks. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to see see a system where where we uh, have better public engagement in terms of what's likely to happen to trees and when it's likely to happen and what they can do to indicate whether they're happy or unhappy about it. Mm. Uh, You you
3: plan to bring up a motion at council to what effect?
13: yeah it, it a kind of a notice of tree removal a kind of a, a planning system for the trees across the city uh now it it would apply to groupings of trees yeah like like we've seen as carhart road and and, and the blackrock uh, railway rather than individual trees because trees do get get knocked down in storms they are sometimes are diseased but but even the extent to which we take away trees uh, that are dead is is often the wrong approach because that's part of the the ecosystem the biodiversity in those areas to allow them to die in people <laughs> where, where they're standing um and and the other part of the puzzle that i, I hope will come through is that so we finally have had sanctions from the department of local government in the Department of Housing uh, to have a tree officer in Cork. So I, I think someone who's specialized and can help develop a tree policy in the city will, will pre- prevent and preempt a lot of this public concern that we've seen in the last couple of months about uh, uh, lots of beet trees being taken down at once. Sometimes it's necessary and sometimes there are questions about whether it's necessary or not. So that's why I'd like to see a better level of public engagement.
3: Come back to what you said about trees dying where they're standing. And yes, as part of biodiversity, that would be important, of course. But a tree that's dead where it's standing is a major safety hazard in a storm and we get lots of storms.
13: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, you have to make calls uh, if the tree is overhanging, uh, if it's likely to, to fall. Uh, but uh, sometimes we we engage in uh, total removal, and, and sometimes we engage in, in widespread removal of surrounding trees. So it's uh, it's not necessarily the right approach. Uh, we, we've tended to treat uh, the idea of tree surgery uh, as as a kind of if, if it's inconvenient, get rid of it. Whereas you you have to be a lot more surgical about it if, if you if you want to live up to that term yeah. uh, and you know, rather than do things with diggers, we should be doing a lot, of, lot more of this work by hand because it's sensitive work. And if we're really interested in biodiversity and, and our, our common future, we, we should be doing this work a lot more sensitively.
3: And is it that if your motion goes through, for example, that there would be a notice placed on a tree that's about to be cut down? Is that what would happen?
13: well I, I, I'd see it by way of public advertisement you know and and uh, especially in, in the electronic age uh, it it means people engaging more with websites and social media social media for instance I mean, I, I think city Council does a lot of good work through through Twitter and Facebook uh, as saying what things are going up think, in terms of road closures and things like that and, and parades that are coming up in terms of planning mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I, yeah we, we said we should be doing it in terms of air quality alert we sometimes do, do we often do it in, in terms of flight alerts. So it, it, it's, it's the main communication channel for most people these days. I, I realise that not, not everyone is, is internet connected or or, or or literate that way, but uh, we're getting to ex- the, uh, the extent that more and more people are, and
3: okay. I think we should be using it a lot more. Okay, just come back to something that is there at the start. You were around the council for a while, and before you went into international politics, you were in the mm-hmm. council. Whatever became of or did it, did it well, is it still there, the living over the shop project?
13: There's a variation of it still, uh, and uh, we've. Uh, I, I think there there were figures brought out in the year about the the, the last five years, uh, and I think there were. Now this is renovations, more than anything else, mm. uh, and numbers were quite low. I think uh, they were uh, certainly under two dozen uh, in a five year period. Mm. Uh, now, now the problem has been there's a couple of problems, DJ. One is that. Uh, experience is showing that grants are better than tax incentives in this kind of situation. That, mm-hmm. uh, that, that There has to be a kind of a matching investment from state or local government to uh, to push this thing along. And the second thing is that we still haven't got a handle, uh, I, I think, uh, in terms of uh, how we treat the, the safety standards in relation to coal developments, which would be re- retail and, and residential. Um, the, the insistent has been and, and it's led by legislation that, uh, that you have to have separate fire fire escapes, for instance, whereas yeah. uh, in Europe and in the United States, uh, the idea of common fire escapes, are oh,
3: yeah. they, they are very common. You, no, when you take a stroll down Patrick Street, um, as I do a couple of mornings a week when I come in the bus, and yeah. you look up over your head, and you think there could be dozens of people living quite happily yeah. in I, apartments I, up there. I,
13: I probably mentioned this before, PJ, but my mother was born in Patrick Street. Uh, oh. uh they lived in an apartment over le chateau not that they owned either but <laughs> they, that's, yeah. where, that's where that's what that's where they lived and that's where she was born and uh, uh there was a time that quite a lot of people lived in patrick's Street. Uh, in recent times there was one voter living there uh but uh there, there's a development now on one of the old aib branches near uh near mcdonald's uh, on oh. the Don square end uh, and i was passing there the other day and i noticed there's a There's a a building near the Princess Street corner that has a lovely bow-fronted uh, mm. tile uh, uh, slate covered building mm. uh, that I think would be perfect
3: for yeah. residential use. There's a centra yeah. in in um, is it there in Old Plunker Street and way up over it there's what you can clearly see is someone's balcony and their little yeah. garden their little yeah. window boxes yeah. up there. That's great yeah. to see. That's great to see. Dan always good to catch up. Thank you very much. That's Councillor Dan Boyle of the Green, the Green Party. There will be a trees officer soon in the council and Dan Boyle's idea is that if you local if trees are going to be cut down in your local area that you get to know about it, rather than just walking out and finding the tree on the floor and wondering why that happened. Even though, down in Skihard Road, what they're doing down there, and the council's explanation for it was it's a continuation from the first two phases to deliver pedestrian cycle and public transport infrastructure over Overskehard Road. Public consultation was undertaken as part of planning approval. The removal of trees was necessary as they were located within the footprint in other words on the dedicated cycle on bus lanes and on footpaths. The number of trees removed was minimised and each had been surveyed in advance to ensure that no birds' nests were affected.
2: 1857-15996
0: Can we just talk
3: Opinion line on Cork's
0: 96 FM with
2: Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. KCN Ross in the morning, weekdays 6 to 9
0: a.m. on
2: Cork's 96 FM.
0: A scientist wrote an AI program, an artificial
3: intelligence program, and it asked the computer to come up with some chat-up lines. You have a lovely face.
14: Can I put it on an air freshener? I want to keep your smell close to me always.
8: (laughs) I think you should close your curtains because I've been looking at you through windows.
2: Casey and Ross in the morning With DC Cars Blackpool For Skoda in the city A long-standing tradition in Cork Open 24-7 at
3: com. Cork's 96FM minutes with Dennis before 11 o'clock Dennis, good morning to you
5: I'm back again Just to destroy your listeners Now when I bring these few points to you Go ahead for, uh, As a community Our rights have been taken away from us our constitution and civil rights that people fought and died for have been taken away from by this government. Just to give you an example there, the Taoiseach, Neil Martin. He brought lockdown, which was correct. Nobody's denying all that. He brought in lockdown, and the next thing he came up with, the idea that he was going to go off to the States with a bowl of weeds to, to, buy, to, to um, the president there. Mm. And he had, be, he had to be told by the, the presidential aides, look, don't come. You were yeah. telling him on the radio every week, do it by Skype or do it by some other thing. So he ignored the laws that they brought in himself, and it was a snub to the Irish people who couldn't... No, he didn't
3: about. go in the end, so that's that he one. He didn't
5: though. go in the end, because he was only told by Biden's aides, don't come... When no, well, having... they
3: did. They closed down all public gatherings in the White House, not just that one or all... That's
5: right. Yeah. But up to that, he even they brought on board two senior ministers to back up his claim that the reason why he should go instead of sourcing vaccines for people or doing something constructive. Now, the next thing is that just the other little point now that I, you can shoot a whole truth if you want, is that the avi- aviation industry is on its knees. Yeah. The, li- the likes of um, O'Leary and that, when they come and talk, you should listen because they're the people who uh, generate wealth, generate employment, and pay taxes with him. They generated
3: a lot of that wealth for themselves too, you know?
5: That is correct, and if they didn't, they wouldn't be in business. You could be like another guy who won't generate any wealth, who won't employ any people, and just sit there and be a drag on the state, Like our minister, our, our minister for, for transport, um, Eamon Ryan. Mm. I thought it should be, should be just a minister for bicycles.
3: But do you think that the avi- well, aviation, you can't, it's not that you can't fly at the moment, it's just that there's no fly, leaving the country is not permitted under the restrictions. Yeah. So unless it's essential travel.
5: That's correct. So therefore, your rights are right, so like muscles. If you don't use them, they're taken away from you. Your right to depart from this country. Now, uh, I would stipulate that if you have been given a vaccine. Mm. And you can sit in a plane with a mask.
3: That's coming, though. We just have to find a way to regulate it. That is coming. You will be able yeah. to fly for the vaccine. That is coming.
0: The lines are
3: live. And we're
0: ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850
2: 715 996.
0: Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96, 96
2: Email opinion at 96 ie.
0: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
2: on Cork's 96FM
3: Alan from a Weather is predicting and he's tweeted this morning the maps uh, moving over the next 24, 48 hours also the dark sky my favourite one is agreeing with them this is the last of the really beautiful days for a while um, we looked like we could get some of it back again next weekend for the bank holiday weekend But uh, today is lovely. Tomorrow, not so much. Wednesday, a bit of sunshine. Thursday, Friday could be iffy. Um, But looking into the bank holiday weekend, it's not looking great at the moment, even though all of the various models were saying it'll be fine again. We'll soon see. We'll soon see. 1850-715-996, the number to call, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Quick reminder, if you missed anything in our first couple of hours this morning, please do remember you'll get them on the podcast, which goes up this afternoon. Uh, my ice cream flavor idea. Uh, going down well, lots of people. Fanta. And flake ice cream Oh wow It's absolutely delicious We make a kind of a version of it at home Love to see it out there Fanta ice cream now, I like that Like that idea Antoinette The strangest ice cream I ever tasted Was brown soda bread gelato When I saw it I wanted to gag But I was persuaded to taste it And it was surprisingly nice And Jim is wondering Would anybody make a carrot flavoured ice cream I love carrot cake but a couple Says Jim So carrot flavoured ice cream I still like the Bulmers one though Bulmers side of one Yeah I'll be crawl over broken glass Just to look at that one The lads on the proc Taking the mickey out of me this morning For talking about ice cream And then Dennis Dennis I don't endorse anything In what Dennis was saying by the way uh, Dennis claims that his constitutional rights Have been infringed By the government restrictions That is BS from top to bottom Absolute BS Government restrictions on travel and flight have done nothing against your constitutional rights. That's absolute and total manure. Um, and I disagree with anyone who says that. We have to do this. We look at India. Look at Brazil. Do you want that here? Because if you open up everything, like some people want to, you could well have that here. we well, you'd be really, really careful. And you know, I don't often, I don't often sort of stand up and applaud Micheál Martin. I've been very critical of the man, sometimes fairly, possibly sometimes not, since he became Taoiseach. But he said something yesterday on the week in politics, and I thought, you know what, Hall, you're right. And there it is, hit on the nose. Everything that opens now, we want it to stay open. So today it's tennis clubs and golf clubs and a few more people at a funeral and a little bit more. There'll be a little bit more next week and a little bit more. Everything that opens now, we want it to stay open. And. I just throw this one out there for what it's worth. I am prepared to wait a little bit longer if it means that what I can do, I can continue to do. So if that means I have to wait a little bit longer to go to a restaurant or a little bit longer to go on a foreign holiday or a little bit longer to go anywhere or do anything, then you know what? I need to say, well, if I want to be able, yes, we need things to open and stay open this time. Any thoughts? Love to hear them. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I read an interesting article about confidence in our children, um, written by Dr. Coleman Nochter, who is a child psychotherapist. And he was saying that one of the most common questions he could ask by parents is, how can I make my child more confident? And this is because they're concerned that the child might be shy, or reserved, or, as we used to say, a quiet child. What did you talk to you a little bit about this? This is uh, Dr. Coleman, doctor, joining me now. Coleman, good morning to you. Morning, pj How are you? That's quite a low connection, there, guys. We'll, 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 we'll take it back. to You, so I'll talk to him there in just a second and see if we can get a better, a better sound on that line, but. <clears throat> Dr. Doctor was saying that many of the young people that he treats in his psychotherapy practice, they don't lack confidence, but often it's self-belief. And I want to explore with him a little bit about the difference between self-belief and confidence. we am just going to set him up there on a slightly better connection if we can. Let's go back to some of your comments on vaccines. Uh, here's one. Gab, Gabby says, the government wants people to get a vaccine in order of age. My husband is registered for two weeks now. Still no sign of an appointment. Several others that I know are in the 60 to 65 group. They're getting vaccinated Wednesday. My husband is 67 and can't get an appointment, even though he is an asthmatic. Uh, When I phoned, I couldn't get a reasonable answer why he was being left behind. They said the elderly are being done in age cohorts. I'd like to ask someone why this is happening, but there is no facility to make a complaint. Thank you for letting me vent. I feel really let down. There is a problem with people being left behind. There really is. Something else brought to my attention over the weekend as well, and I thought it would make real common sense. I was talking to my daughter. One of her friends lives with Nanny, and Nanny is 90 something, 91 or 2. And Nanny, of course, has been vaccinated. Now, it's just making the point that when you've got somebody vulnerable in the house, like an elderly mom or nana or dad or granddad or someone who's sick and they've been vaccinated, wouldn't it just be prudent to vaccinate the whole household. I don't get that. I'd love to ask someone about that. Like, let's say for example that someone, you know, we we live with Nana. So many of us live with Nana. And Nana is 88. And fair play to her, she's in good old fettle. but this thing would kill her. So, Nana's had her vaccine. And Nana is now, she got Pfizer, she's bordering on bulletproof. And that's great. But like, why weren't the rest of you done on the same day? Just for the sake of convenience, if nothing else.
7: Can we just talk?
0: The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With
2: Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100 percent natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
0: <laughs> the Corks 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now.
2: 96FM.ie now. Take the 10 minute survey and you could win a 100 euro shopping voucher.
0: The power to pick what we play. Pick what we
2: play. You're the power. Join the Corks 96 FM music panel.
0: Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
2: Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You're the power.
0: Or see 96 fmie
7: Can we just talk?
0: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With
2: dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
0: Simon Murdoch and the best music mix.
2: Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Monday at work or maybe you're heading for a game of tennis or a round of golf. I'm on the radio with the big tunes and all things Cork straight after The Opinion Line here on Cork's 96FM.
3: Get ready because Cork is about to be brought to life with Cork's 96 FM brings you the first ever online edition of the Cork International Choral Festival this April 28th to May 2nd on (laughs) corkchoral.ie. Enjoy choirs from Ireland, Europe and beyond. This year, four specially
8: curated gala concerts will be staged online, which you can enjoy from the comfort of your own home. For details of workshops, concerts and more, see corkchoral.ie. There's something for absolutely everyone at the online edition of the Cork International Choral Festival, April 28th to May 2nd. With Cork's
3: 96FM. Long call that I read out there a while ago, the mistakes that were made right at the very start of all of this, uh, they weren't all made by Mihal Martin, it has to be said. Mihal Martin only became Taoiseach in June. Was it June? Yeah, it was June of last year. Mihal Martin became Taoiseach. Taoiseach at the start of all of this and the first couple of months when, for example, Neffet asked for mandatory quarantine, check it out, they did. They asked for mandatory quarantine, didn't happen. And also, um, who was the one who devised a plan, published it in April, brought it into effect in May, and then rushed it through, and if you look back at it now, Neffet said don't rush it, they rushed it, and look where we ended up. Who brought that plan out? It wasn't me on Martin, it was the Koteish, Leo. So, you know... We've got to give credit where it's due sometimes as well. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Earlier on this morning, I read you the uh, message that we'd had from one of the young people who was injured, attacked in the Glen Park Saturday night. In case you missed it, I will read it again. It's brief enough. Um, and this is being investigated by the guy the, and this young person. We verified the identity and all of that. So this is an accurate account. Last night on the way home, my friend and I decided to walk through the Glen Park at around 9pm. We were attacked by a group of teenagers, 15, 16-year-olds, out drinking. We had seen them and we sat purposely a distance away just to have our chat. As we got ready to leave, a few of them walked past. One of the lads flicked a lit fag butt at my friend. It landed in her hair and fell down her dress. I stood up, both in shock and to try to find out who'd thrown the butt and why. As I took a step away from the bench, I was knocked to the ground and kicked twice in the forehead. My friend tried to come to my aid, but as she did, she was kicked in the chin herself. Her glasses fell off and she dropped her bag. We tried our best to defend ourselves. Then there was a confrontation between us and about seven or eight of the teenagers. We rang the guards. The gang continued mocking us and jeering at us. The guards didn't show up. After a few calls, we started walking home, and the gang followed us until we left the park. It took six calls over the space of an hour. Eventually, we were at home before the guards came out. They took statements from each of us. 185715996. That's one of the two people involved in that. Uh, the other night, Councillor Ted T- Tynan uh, knows the area well. Ted, good morning. Morning, PJ. Distressing, very distressing for these two young
7: women. Oh, I'm I'm raging over it, you know, um, PJ. It's a beautiful... The Glen River Valley Park is a beautiful place, full of wildlife. It's quiet, tranquil, beautiful place to go. I've been down there a lot, particularly during the lockdown last year and again this year. My wife and myself, we go off down there, we've down during the snow there, during the winter. And just to... Just to um, sample the kind of um, atmosphere there, it's a fabulous part. And on that event um, where that uh, those two young women were were assaulted, that's an appalling event, you know. Mm. And just to recognise then as well the dangers that are there, because we've I've observed personally myself the drinking parties that are going down there. And, as you know, alcohol drives people violent too, you know. So I put down a motion then, PJ, a few months ago, and there was a response from the City Council. You no, know, it was about the setting up of park rangers. And I I copied the ideas that were put out by Malcolm Noonan, the, the Green Party Minister, that um, he was pushing this idea of send, setting up park rangers these park rangers would be trained by Ungarda Shea Corner and would be given powers of arrest and would be given legal backing by the state. And, of course, funding is the big issue. And they would patrol places like the Glen River Park, you know? And mm. well, you, Would you have them out there at 9
3: anyway? o'clock at night? Pardon? 9 o'clock at night?
7: And why not? Yeah. And why, why not? I mean, people are entitled to go out at... Eight nine o'clock and I've been down there myself. Actually, it went dark then, and maybe coming home around half eight, half nine, ten o'clock on various evenings. And it's um, I, I I walk the mountains in the dark and I walk through woodlands. It's a beautiful experience mm. to walk through woodlands in 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 the dark at night time, you know. And the proposal that I had done that they would create uh, a park rangers unit for the Glen River Park and mm. the other parks around That it. is an
3: official council park, is it, Ted?
7: Um, oh, it would be, uh, I, I would think so, yeah. It's mm. publicly owned, anyway.
3: Right.
7: As you know, the history, PJ, um, Sir Basil Goulding was his name. He was a fertiliser, and he had um, an industry down there for many years. And um, Goulding's family then bequeathed the, the Glen River area at that time to... Um, to the people of Cork.
3: I didn't so know that, I didn't know that. And I didn't know that. Thank you for telling yeah. me that.
7: It, it, it was known as Golding's Glen. And so that's the uh, name. And the ah. Golding family then... Yeah. And the, the Golding family then... Be, sorry, Basil Golding bequeathed the Glen River Valley then to the people of Cork. And indeed, Alice Fleischman, if you know, he worked in UCC. Yeah, yeah. He lived in a house down in the, the Glen River Park. And... Mm-hmm. Um uh, I I met his daughter a couple of times many, many years ago now, you know. So um she was a friend of one of our members at the time, Mary Daly who ended up living in Texas and I've lost contact with Mr. Iceman's daughter, just met her briefly once or twice, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a beautiful area, PJ, and it must be respected. But cl- and protected, clearly, clearly, you know? the
3: history, as you've just brilliantly explained it to me, uh, yeah. would would definitely then make it a council responsibility if he gifted exactly. it to the people. The council yeah. represent the people, so yeah. you, you'd and you'd be looking at hiring specific park rangers who would, yeah. who would patrol it. And th- that we the, the power of arrest, though, is that a bit of a push?
7: Well, why not? Because. You see, park rangers, like trained, like community guards, if they come across a situation of 6, 8, 10, 12 youngsters, teenagers, whatever, misbehaving and carrying on, they can be polite and diplomatic with those people. And if that doesn't work, then at least they would have the backing of the law then to um, proceed to arrest them then, you know. So, mm-hmm. And most young people, when they're spoken to by a guard in uniform or whatever, or a park ranger... Most of them will say, sorry, you know, and, and they get on, walk away, on home, then or whatever, you know. Mm. But, um, like, but but you need some kind of a presence of mm. an organised group like the park rangers, and why not, Peter? you know? Why not like, indeed? I mean, he, if you look
3: at what happened, ha- apart from the, the kicking, which is appalling, if you look at what happened where a, a, a lighted fag butt was right, flicked... Fixed. Yeah. And it landed yeah. in her hair, down in her clothes. Yeah. Like that person, that that, if they were wearing something that that, God knows wasn't flame retardant, right, or yeah. if she had hairspray yeah. in, my exactly. God Almighty, yeah. why yeah. we could be yeah. talking about a death here.
7: Yeah, that's that's how serious it is, PJ and I would, and I would treat it as a very serious incident, and I think the authorities must likewise do treat it as a very serious incident. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a threat to that person's life. And mentally, you know, will they be able to stroll down the Glen Park again? You know, because they're afraid that when they each turn, there, then are they going to be attacked? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a frightening experience. Now, they, said, they've I'm made sorry.
3: statements, and, and here's hoping that the, the, the Gardaí will be able to follow up upon it. But uh, you might remember on Friday, if you were listening, I was talking to a councillor in Nimerick, a former mayor. Like, yeah, if yeah. the if the young fella who flicked that butt is, is 14 or, or 15, so there's nothing much can be done. So do we find the parents? How would you feel about that?
7: Oh... Uh, I don't know, I would have to think about that PJ but what I can say to you is that once you talk to some of these youngest guys particularly and try and get, put a bit of sense into their head and say look, alright you, you opted out of school early and all that and you had family issues and all that but what you just done was not a nice thing you know and I'm sure most young, most young people will after a while listen and mend their ways then you know, So, but I find that the idea of slap a fine on the parents of the children because you would find, PJ, that they're coming from certain dysfunctional families too, you know? So, and however, I find it very hard to agree that a family should be hit with a fine of 50 or 100. Like, the main issue here is that two young girls going for a stroll through a beautiful park at 9 o'clock in the evening is assaulted, and I think that's the issue to concentrate on, and I think park rangers properly trained and properly resourced could, um, could have prevented that incident from happening in the first place, you know?
3: Okay, Ted, thank you. Councillor uh, Ted Tynan, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Park Rangers with the power of arrest. Do you know what? There's a lot in what he says because you don't have enough guards. So maybe a few rangers and who would have the, the power to collar you. And report you and all that. Might, might just, might cop some of the young, young fellas on. 1850-715-996. I, I, I don't know if you agree with me. I hope you do. The greatest toy ever given to children was Lego. I remember being a youngster and having a sack, a big, huge box of Lego of all different kinds. But I don't have any Lego or didn't have any Lego when I was 45. But Graham Young, how long? I'm looking at the, at the photographs, Graham Young's and Cove. How many years did it take you to build that wonderful, wonderful Lego collection of yours? Good morning.
14: Good morning, CJ. How are you? <coughs>
3: um,
14: I'm at this now for the past six years, and it just kind of, I suppose, matured in the last three, you know, because there's a lot of discovery for the first three. um, and like any kid, I was into it um, when I was probably about five, six, and it was up with me till about twelve, and then like that, you just kind of start growing up and take interest in different things. But it was only of late I got back into it, and then I just found the obsession, you know.
3: What well, What was the the spur to get back into it?
14: Um, I was thinking of doing some kind of a model Japanese table. I had a fierce interest in Japan. Mm. Um, because uh, I was into martial arts for a, a long time and I wanted to do some kind of 14th century table just something between the ninja and the samurai theme kind of thing Yeah So I walked up to Smith's Toys and I was just looking could I see anything regarding model making and out of nostalgia then I just strolled down the aisle of Lego and I came across um, what's called a the Ninjago theme and instantly I saw these little figures with the hoods and the masks and stuff on them and that was it. I was hooked. So I bought three sets straight away, and I started building temples. And that was it. That was, this. That was the. That was the. Um they're,
3: they're magnificent. I'm looking at the pictures of you uh, on the exam, and they're absolutely magnificent. Just you know, they're all sets now. They're all kind of predetermined sets. You know what's on the box, what you're going to build. Is there anyone doing free-form Lego anymore? As in you just buy a box of pieces, and it all comes out of your own head, or is it all sets now?
14: Oh, it's both. Um, and okay. you'll have yeah, you'll have like. You can order parts from Lego.com, and you can start creating yourself. And that's what I'm after getting into very much so now in the last two years. Is um, I love the, the whole um, landscaping thing, where I can build roads and greenery and um, water and temples. And then you do have uh, Lego sets. If you take a fancy to them, you can build them. But I I like the mix of both. Mm. But I definitely like to create. My own thing now at this point, you know. Yeah, it's brilliant.
3: And how much has it cost you?
14: (laughs) People always ask that, wondering. Like, but I really didn't keep track. Track. Excuse me. over the past five, six years, I don't know, maybe fifteen twenty thousand. 20,000, you know. And I'm not like too we're... sure, like, you know. You'd think, if you, you'd be surprised, you know. You'd be surprised, like, you know, if you compare the same thing to going out socially on the weekend, you'd actually top it up at the end of the year as well, even more than what I would spend on Lego, you know. It's true, it's true.
3: Yeah. You know, Graham. Listening, it's lovely. It really is great work. And we've, we've, we've tweeted some of the, the pictures from the Opinion Line account. Thanks very much. Graham Young um, spends his life... Collecting and building Lego. They're brilliant. And the Japanese theme and the Oriental theme, they're fabulous. Really, really great. We've got some pictures up on the Twitter now. 1850, 715, 996. 35 years ago today. I can remember I was working in a radio station in the city, a very young broadcaster, a boy broadcaster, and I remembered the story coming in on the news about something having happened in the Soviet Union, um, in Ukraine, in a place called Chernobyl. And it was massive. And it took days for the story to filter through. And even then, before the days of social media or anything like that, we realized that what we were getting was being very, very carefully filtered. We were only getting the bare minimum. And when the horror of what had happened really happened came through it was just you, you couldn't comprehend it that was 35 years ago today if you want something to watch on the television uh, you'll find it on the box sets uh, the sky box sets or the now box sets have a look at the Chernobyl HBO drama series a reminder the just world is a sane world there was nothing sane about Chernobyl.
7: I'm pleased to report that the situation in Chernobyl
3: is stable in terms of radiation. I'm told it's the equivalent of a chest X-ray.
5: You no, know, Chernobyl is on fire, and every atom of uranium is like a bullet, penetrating everything in its path—metal, concrete, flesh. Now, Chernobyl holds over three trillion of these bullets. Some of them will not stop firing
14: for 50,000 years. Tell me how to put it out. You are dealing with something that has never occurred on this planet before. Cut the phone lines. Contain the spread of misinformation
7: what happened to our boys. The pain is unimaginable. In three days to three weeks,
3: you're dead. A.D. Roach, good morning.
1: Oh my God, good morning PJ. I can tell you that was making for very sobering um, listening there, she, I, I can feel the airs kind of rising on on the back of my neck as I kind of relived the dialogue, and also relived the reality mm. of what um, the you know the the guys there were were recounting, and of course as you said in your introduction. I mean, it's hard to imagine you now for a new audience, you know, a younger audience who don't even remember the Soviet Union and what that was like, that it was cloaked in secrecy and deception and lies. And of course, when Chernobyl happened, they hid the catastrophic ramifications um which, you know, which affected millions of people and continues to do that. They actually signed, would you believe, 40 pieces of secret legislation in order to keep the truth from the world, but to keep it from their own people and they I often say to people that it's like each piece of legislation like was like a nail in the coffin of the truth as they just cloaked it in, you know, in, in lies and deception. And, like, right. we're paying the price for that, actually, PJ, all these years later. Like, this was an unprecedented um, accident, like, in the history of humankind, and we're still only learning.
3: Can I, actually, can I take you back, Aidy, and ask you, like, when did you first, A, realise that this was far mm. worse than we were being told, and B, how did you get involved?
1: Well, would you believe um, back in 1986, I was very involved with the peace movement called the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament. You know, we were CND, trying yeah. to rid, CND, exactly, rid the world of nuclear weapons and everything. So I was aware from that about the devastating impact from Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and that this was the kind of sidekick development with the energy, to with the sidekick development from the weapons. I said, oh my God, this is going to be really serious. But of course, there was no information came out at the time because the Soviet Union put the lid on the information. But w- people were really, really worried in Ireland at the time, PJ. And I remember a group of Crosshaven-based doctors, Mary and Sean Dunphy, they, we came together with a team of doctors and nurses and we actually put together a kind of a quest, you know, a kind of a an information sheet actually for people because people were ringing the CND office saying, what are we going to do? My sister is pregnant or I'm pregnant or I have a small baby. Will it affect us? You know, will it come to Ireland? And we, so that's actually, I started actively in 1986, but then everything was cloaked in secrecy. And we didn't really get to know what was happening until the end of 1990. And then a group of courageous doctors sent into the CND office, I'll always remember it, they said two lines sos appeal for god's sake help us to get the children out and that was the first first that we heard Mm. that really the impact was catastrophic and like really i suppose in a way one of the learning things for all of us is that chernobyl is a cautionary tale of the potential what can happen inside any of these nuclear facilities and like we cannot undo the damage pj i mean that is the bottom line, Mm. it has crossed into the DNA of human life, flora, fauna, Mm -hmm. and it's called Chernobyl lineage. We're now looking at the third generation of Chernobyl survivors because they're still sleeping, eating, breathing in the world's most radioactive environment. Mm. And then there are all these forest fires. And we're conscious on the news today today Uh, PJ, that you'll be covering the fires, the terrible fires that are raging down in Killarney. Exactly. Now, can you add to that the unknown element and unknown quantities of radioactivity that would get thrown up with the smoke and with the air and that it would get covered over whole tracts of land mm. like the dust from the fires at Killarney will too, but thanks be to God they don't have radioactivity yes. in them. But that's what's happening every single year in the Chernobyl areas, wow. I swear to God. And and, and so
3: and the thing is, it is so, so far away from us. Like it's four hours on a plane at least to get there. And yes it did come on. Uh, to the whole of Europe was, was affected by this. When did you bring... Yes. The first children over 80 we yourself. We
1: brought the first children over in the summer of 1991. Wow. Can you believe that PJ? 30 and, years and, ago. 30 years ago, and would you believe at that time the, the airline was called Aeroflot. They were for the entire Soviet Union. They were the national airline mm-hmm. for the whole region and they had to stop off uh, down in Shannon. So we used to be able to get the children in from there and they'd come from the orphanages, they'd come from the villages. Really, really poor, sick children. And from that day until this day, 35 years later, Ireland has never stopped the intervention has never stopped. The intercession and Ireland—and this is true, PJ—like we, have, we are the torchbearers on this tragedy. We are the ones that have kept the story alive. We are the ones that have pared back the the layers around the lies, the layers around the deception. We have unravelled. The spin that they tried to put on this invisible enemy of radiation, and we have told the raw truth all these years. And you rightly said, uh, PJ, in in putting up playing the the HBO Chernobyl series, that actually was one of the most extraordinary saving graces mm. for the story of Chernobyl. I remember
3: I asked you at the time of its premiere, AD, i I got a chance to see some episodes early and I said two things. I said, one, it is very rarely that television makes me cry. But also, I asked you, how accurate, Aidy?
1: I can tell you this, Walter, and this is now on my mother and my father's grave. I swear to God, the guy who wrote the series has become a very dear friend, Craig Mason. He was meticulous in his research, he was meticulous in getting the eyewitness accounts to the tiniest of detail. The science is absolutely correct. The impact—I I sw- honestly—he got it. He totally understood it. And you know something, actually, a, a lot of the series has been vindicated as well mm. in another documentary, which is going to be on tonight, PJ, and I, I'd really encourage you and your listeners to watch it, on PBS America. And if, any, if people have it, I hope they do. It's called Back to Chernobyl and it was premiered last week on PBS as well. It is extraordinary. It's a full-on documentary, all eyewitness accounts. And it again just confirmed everything that we've been saying for 35 years and everything that has come across in the HBO series. And of course, you know yourself, PJ, it's like the climate deniers, you know, the, the global warming deniers or Holocaust deniers of the, the Holocaust in the Second World War. You will get the Chernobyl deniers as well. And sometimes you'll hear people kind of putting the burden of proof back on the victims to try and get them to prove that they're actually affected by Chernobyl, which really I think kind of doubles, um, you know, doubles their tragedy, if you like. I, I mean, this, you know, like this is an invisible enemy. Like, things have a sense of normality. Like, if you were to walk through the zones, you'd almost think that everything was perfect. Mm. But it's in the DNA. It's in... That's at that microscopic level... And that's why your it altered it evolved.
3: altered people's
1: DNA exactly yeah. it did, and also the same of flora and fauna, mm-hmm. and of, of animal and plant life as well. And that is coming up now, these generations later. So, in a sense, you know, um, like the, the the catastrophe of Chernobyl, like um, is far from being over because yeah. the direct damage which is caused by the radiation and the equally significant indirect economic social, medical and environmental consequences continue to affect millions. I mean, we reckon we're talking about 5 million people um, at the moment and 1 million of those are children. And these are the most vulnerable. Like, small children are the most vulnerable to radioactivity because, PG they actually absorb an adult dose of radioactivity. So their small little bodies can't handle what they're absorbing. (laughs) But thanks be to God for today, PJ. I mean, I'm so proud of Ireland today, like this United Chernobyl Remembrance Day.
3: Yes, I was just going to ask you about that. What's happening?
1: Well, all I can tell you is it's thanks to Ireland that we even have this day. And this day, PJ, will go on for the rest of time beyond you and beyond me, this day of reflection and remembrance. And headed up by our own wonderful president, Michael D. Higgins, He is the one that is standing on behalf of the globe today. And this is a global audience. It started last night in um, New Zealand. It went on to Australia. Then it came up to, to Europe and to our president, who's really speaking with one voice for the nation in saying to the victims of Chernobyl, we will not Forget you. And he's saying, on the other hand, to the people of Ireland that we have been unwavering, unstintingly compassionate and giving, opening our homes and our hearts as well as our purse strings, and saying to these children that they're part of the same human Mm. family. And we're acknowledging 35 years of extraordinary giving. I mean, really, PJ, we're a small country. But we have a big heart and we punch way above our weight. We are the trailblazers. We are the torchbearers. We are the legacy makers on this tragedy. And we are throwing this lifeline to the victims of Chernobyl saying... As long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. And that is a very powerful message to give to people who feel forgotten, who feel neglected, who feel invisible, who are being, uh, you know, who are being denied Mm -hmm. their tragedy. And the small island of Ireland is being the moral is being
3: the moral voice. And you know, there are many, many of us would say, Adie, and I'll leave you with this one, if it wasn't for voices like yours, many of us wouldn't even know. Thank you very much for being with us today. Edie Roach uh, from Chernobyl Children's International. Tom remembers the choral festival being on at the time. There was a Ukrainian choir. They did their thing on stage got into the bus, and everyone could see them crying as they were leaving. It was a horrible day, and we must never forget. I'll get to his email tomorrow, Terry. I don't have time to read it just now, but I just wanted to give a few minutes to AD on the day that it is, the 35th anniversary of the Chernobyl disaster. That's it. Uh, Terry Rinnan edited the show. Fergal Barry produced and researched. And we shall see you tomorrow, just after nine.